to the seventh episode of the Couch Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and we have 14 fights to break down today. Pretty good card. Pretty exciting. I guess there's some fun matchups. I thought going into this, there'd be more betting spots for me, but there were not. Um, I have some plays ready to go, but it's looking like there's not going to be a round robin this week. Um, we'll see. I gotta put a little bit more thought into it. Maybe look over the tape one, one or two more times, but you guys will see what I mean as we, as we move along. So, first, you see I'm on my phone. I am pulling up my results from last week. Last week we had quite a night. Um, I overextended for sure. I bet about I don't even remember, but too many units. It was like thirty something, which is not something you want to do as a smart better. Of course it matters what unit sizes you have so that's why we see such variance within people but um yeah so like i i over bet for sure but thankfully we came out on top i'm pulling it up but i want to say it was about we ended up on the night 4.44 units so another green night it was a little bit slimy so you know want to improve from there but let's review real quick so I had way too many money line bets. We went at Rafael Dos Anjos versus Moicano, 1.7 units cashed. Barbosa, two units did not cash. Holland, 2.4 units cashes. Spivak, 2.05 units cashes. Jalen Turner, two units cash. Uh, Yan Jianan, one unit at plus 235. It's close enough. You know, you could argue either way, but I thought it was fair that Marina won. Uh, Nchukwe, minus 150, one unit, lost that one. Uh, Marina Moroz, plus 170. That hit, only a half unit. Hindsight's 20-20, but damn, I wish I put more. Tagir, 2.2 units, that's an L. Look, <clears throat> I was sweating that whole fight. Even going into it, if you listen to my podcast... You heard that, like, I wasn't, I was getting less and less confident on Tagir as the week went on, and the fight kind of turned out exactly how I thought it would. Um, Tagir wasn't the one getting takedowns, it was Elliot for the most part. Uh, on the feet, honestly, that's where I was wrong. I thought that Elliot would be better on the feet, and actually Tagir was better on the feet. I did give rounds two and three to Tagir, but the judges saw it a different way. It was really frustrating with all the fouls and stuff, but what can you do? Like, There's really nothing you can do. 
Sometimes the variance goes an hour, hour way, sometimes it goes the other way. That's why we have unit management, because if we didn't, variance would kick our asses. It's important to do unit management. That way, even when you make the right decision and the universe says fuck you and you lose, you don't lose everything. And then you can go ahead and make the right decision. So, that's that, my little speech. The Devante Smith one unit loss, you know, bad read on my part. Um, Klein looked looked a, like a favorite, so that was my mistake. And Dustin Jacoby minus one ninety five two units, so that cashed. And then we had <clears throat> various combinations of Umar Nurmagomedov with our favorites. Those almost all hit, except for Ulan Begov and Nichukwi. Uh Props wise, let's see: Ulan Begov submission lost. Holland submission lost. Moreau's by decision lost. Uh, Hardy over one and a half rounds lost. Fight goes to decision loses. Um, my Umar Nurmagomedov wins inside the distance. I cash two units. I mean one unit at plus 140. Uh, Kobe Covington by decision cashed 1.12 units. And then I hit a bunch of parlays with Covington Nurmagomedov, Covington Holland. Um, I played the over 2.5 on Covington and Masvidal. And I parlayed that with um, Holland in one parlay, RDA in another, and Nurmagomedov in another. And yeah, so that's that's how it went. We did do around Robin. We had the, uh, I believe, seven guys. We had Spivak, Nichukwi, Ulan Bekov, Jacoby, RDA, Holland. Um, that's six. Ulan Bekov makes seven, I believe. Or Turner makes seven. Regardless, it's seven guys, so. And yeah, and that's pretty much it. I had a few other props, like uh, Colby wins in round four or five to cover a few spots. I had um, Masvidal in round one and two to cover a few spots. So, you know, it was a choppy night. Um, I don't like playing like that, so we're going to try to improve. But thank God we at least got away with a, with a green night, so. Without further ado, let's get into these fights. I've got some decent ideas, and um, it's been a long fucking day. I've got a Paloma in hand, and um, yeah, this is going to help, so I'm hyped to get to it. Did you just see myself spill everything? Look at this. I swear. I'm a tweak, man. I literally can't drink things. I spill them all over myself. You should see me with coffee. If you go into my laundry bin, like 9 out of 10 t-shirts are going to be stained with coffee because I just chug them and then it falls all over my shirt. I'm like a 7-year-old child sometimes. But anyways, <clears throat> first fight of the night. We got Tafan Nechukwi versus Azamat Mirzakhanov. Mirza I apologize. Tafan is 6-1-0. He's from Cameroon, 27 years old, 204 pounds. I believe, I want to say that he's gone 185 but i actually don't think he i don't remember no he fought john young park so that's at uh that was 100 percent at um 185 because i know john young park does not fight at 105 at 205 so let's pull that up real quick i hope you guys could see everything i can see let me double check you could all right so yeah here we go tafan did fight at middleweight in his Contender Series bout in his debut and against Park. And then Mike Rodriguez was at um, light heavyweight. And now Azamat is at light heavyweight. 
Um, the thing is, Tafan's usually short for heavyweight, but not here. So, I mean light heavyweight, but we'll get there in a sec. He's six foot tall, 77 inch reach. So he has a six inch reach advantage here. And he's fighting at a team Lloyd Irvin. I've never really known that camp, but apparently the coach is actually pretty well known. And another fighter on this card will be fighting out of there. His name is um, Sadiq Yusuf. So we'll get there later. And then on the other side, we've got Mirzakhanov. He's 10-0, undefeated. And he's also got a... Th um, he's also got a... Oh, never mind. I thought he had an amateur record, but I'm not seeing it on my notes. Let me check in case I missed it. I do everything by hand, and I'm extremely busy because I'm in law school. But I do my best to try to get accurate numbers. Yeah, he didn't have a an amateur career. I don't know why I thought he might. But anyways, my uh, that those odds are inaccurate. It's not minus 155 anymore. It's higher. It's like minus 170-ish. Uh, he's 35 years old, so he's a little bit older on the older side. 5'10 and 71 inch reach. So here's the thing. Mersikhanov is a weird story because he was supposed to fight. Well, first he fought on the contender series at light heavyweight. Bopped the guy. Knocked him out. That was, you know, expected. Um, then he was scheduled to fight somebody. That fell through. And then he was supposed to fight Felipe Linz, too. Uh, I want to say he was supposed to fight Vendera, but I, I might be getting mixed up. I'm going to I'm gonna pull that up again real quick. Oh, so he was actually supposed to fight both of them, and both fell through. So, yeah, I mean... I remember when he won, Dana was like, this guy should fight at middleweight. So, like, as I said before, Tafan's fought at middleweight before. Azmat should have been at middleweight. So, these guys are fighting at 205, but both of them are middleweights, in my opinion. Um, Azamat's fighting at a K-Dojo Warrior Tribe. I tried to double-check that on Instagram with no success. So, I'm not sure what's going on there. But it is a Russian camp, so, you know, that helps. And... I, mean, I just want to see if he's working with anybody that we can we know. Yakovlev. <laughs> uh, yeah, nobody really too uh, notable over here. At least that I don't know. Um, I, I feel like that guy, Korban Godziev, sounds familiar, but I don't really recognize him right now. I've watched a good amount of ACA, uh, especially last year. I, I was really into betting it, but... Um, yeah, I don't really know the, all the Russians like that, but so breaking this fight down. Um, all right, we'll go through each part, right? So first off, cardio. Merzakhanov's never been well. He's been to a decision once, kind of. It, it's re, it's re, a really weird situation. It was against Guto and Asente, and it appears it made it past the second round and then somebody blew a blue blow horn in the crowd and it stopped the fight and the fight never started back up so that was that um so i'm not sure if he's actually gone all three rounds from what i've seen he has not but if anybody knows otherwise please let me know but yeah so he's never been to decision and he does seem to slow down a little bit although not it's doesn't really look like his game changes much because it's not like he comes out in round one and he's some super high volume striker he's not 
he he bounces on his feet really well back and forth back and forth back and forth moves his head you know moving target hard to hit and then he throws these like cannon loaded shots like just loads it up and throws it like and he's fast it's hard to see them coming even though he's loading up he's good at it and they hit that's why like you see him on the regional scene he was knocking out russians too it wasn't just here in the dana white contender series like i'm pulling it up so you know you see him fighting in acb even though that guy's zero three and oh fight nights global you know now that i'm looking at this he didn't really fight anybody good on the russian scene and yeah he hasn't really fought anybody good at all which will help my overall point but i didn't even notice that before all right so and then tafan you know he he's an interesting story i'm gonna pull up his stats now we're gonna look at it together so tafan in the ufc is 2-1-0 already even though he's fairly new um one stat i want to point out is his control time uh, in his last four fights, this is including a fight with Jamie Pickett, who can wrestle, John Young Park, who can wrestle, and Mike Rodriguez, who's like twice as tall as Tafan. And Tafan has 11% control time for and 1% control time against. So what does this tell us? It tells us, A, that 66% takedown defense that he's got, that shit's working. It works, and he uses it well. That's why he's only given up 1% control time. That means even when he's given up takedowns, he's getting right back up. He's not allowing them to control him. To, to show what I mean, let's look at this, right? John Young Park, four minutes he held him down off two takedowns. That's pretty good, not going to lie. Uh, let's see, Pickett held him down for 30 seconds, and then nothing else, you know. So the numbers are skewed. He's never fought a wrestler, and uh, I did watch the tape with Mirzakhanov and Innocente, and I was thinking, like, all right, I think Mirzakhanov is better um, in terms of grappling, I do. I think he's the better grappler. Um, it's just the striking. I don't like his striking. If you've watched my shows before, you know that I'm very, uh, I guess I'm a technical slob, snob. Um, I really like when guys use, for example, jabs. That's my favorite weapon. One twos, a high guard. So, the, you know, that kind of thing. Um, one thing I hate is guys who load up and don't hit often. So, kind of matches Mirzakhanov. He's got a low output. Um, his striking defense, you know, like I said, he loads up. And when you load up and you throw a shot, right? Because of the power and like, the force you, did, you use to throw that shot, your head's open. Because you're still recovering from that shot to pull back. And in that time, it takes you to pull back and come back here. The, your opponent has a shot to rock you and you know in the past that hasn't really hurt him but like i just went over with you guys who has he fought we looked at his list there's nobody there nobody re recognizable and even if it was some aca animals that's not the case he had one acb fight against a zero three and oh fighter so you know i don't think i just i just feel like nichukwi is going to be better here i feel like striking wise so here's the thing with Nechukwi. He's improving every day because he's 6-1-0. The guy's green as could be. He got signed to the UFC three fights ago. So the guy was fucking had four professional fights going into the UFC, and one of those was on the Contender Series, right? So that means this guy has literally had three professional fights outside of the UFC. So, you know, he's green, and that scares me, but... A, he's been way more active than Azamat. 
And B, every time he comes in, we see more improvement. So in his John Young Park fight, round one, I was watching and I was like, Jesus, holy moly, this guy strikes so slow. Nachukwi has a crazy output. You look at his numbers, you know. For a guy that looks like that, it's like surprising. Oh, fuck, I just closed it by accident. It looks, it's like insane. Like, go look at what he looks like. But 116 against Rodriguez. 58 in his loss against Park. 120 into, uh, against Jamie Pickett. You know, so for a guy who's like carrying a lot of weight, like I used to, I called these kinds of guys like, he looks like a refrigerator. He's a walking refrigerator. And he's not easy to KO. Hasn't happened. His one loss was to Jung Young Park. And his striking, like I, I was just telling you guys that it was slow, but you watch his next fight against Mike Rodriguez, and it was the opposite of slow. He looked fast. He looked good. He was cu- cutting the cage. He was moving forward. He's extremely explosive. He does stay a little flat-footed. Um, and his striking defense, you know, he's got a good high guard, but he doesn't really move his head. One thing to note in his loss to Park, it was a majority loss. He did, but he did get a point taken, so could have been a little different. But I think we all know that uh, he lost that fight, and fairly so. Um, yeah, I mean, my pick's Nachukwi. I'm still waiting on the odds. I haven't placed a bet yet because it appears that the odds are still moving in Azamat's favor. But now I'm seeing a slight change. You know, I'm seeing Tafana plus 150 and at Caesars. Best fight odds with uh, BetMGM have been really whack. They've been, like, not giving us updates on time. But, yeah, plus 150, that's already getting closer to what what I'd like. You know, if I had to try to cap it, I, I really can't imagine that I would do it correctly. But, you know, if I sat down and I, I tried to cap this without any tape, prior and with like my knowledge of how we are as betters and how the bookies try to i mean tend to act you know i'd probably i i think i'd have the around the same probably mirza khan of minus 150 to fawn you know plus 130 if i completely cut out what i expect and just went with skill for skill from watching you know i'd probably have it at evens pick them but yeah so for the for these odds i do like nuchugui he's fighting out of a switch stance so he's gonna give him different looks lloyd Irvin is a decent camp uh, he's got a six-inch reach advantage, a one-inch height or two-inch height advantage, you know. So I'm not positive about the pick. I'm only gonna lay a unit on it. I have not yet. So if you want to know when I do, please follow me at the Couch Warrior Pod on Twitter, and I will update it when I do find the place to bet. Speaking of which, I do want to say, if you guys like my content, if you come back every week, please, please, please like, subscribe, follow me on Twitter, and share to a friend, because I put in hours and hours of work every week, and, you know, if you look at my page, it's clear we only have like 20-something subscribers, I've only got like 50-something followers on Twitter, we need to grow, guys, and I need your help, so please, if you like my content, if I've helped you cash any bets, please consider helping me spread the word so for this first fight yes the pick is Tafan Nuchukwi and I'm gonna wait I am gonna wait but overall my breakdown comes down to I think he's going to be the better striker overall technically if he can get his speed together unlike the park fight I think he'll be faster but he might not be honestly Azamat throws really fast 
But I think he's going to be the better striker. Azamat is probably the better grappler, but Nichuku is strong. He's tough, and even when he does get taken down, he pops right back up. So, yeah, I like Nichuku at these odds. I, I really do. <clears throat> and I'm happy with that play when it does end up being set. <laughs> <sighs> the people's main event. All right. If you guys see me uh, smoking on this stick over here, it's just some nicotine. I need to cool down. But uh, here we got, got Guido Canetti versus Chris Moutinho. Canetti is... <coughs> Excuse me. Canetti is 8-6-0. He is 42 years old, so the man is ancient for Bantam, uh, Bantamweight years. 5'6", 68-inch reach. Um... That's a hilarious uh, gym camp name, Our Town MMA. I tried to look it up on Twi on uh, Instagram. You guys know I always do. And I couldn't find any names for a camp. It looks like he's doing his own thing out there. Maybe in Argentina, maybe elsewhere, wherever he's living. But I can't tell you a name. I can't tell you any significant partners because I can't see them. And I will say one thing. He looks fucking jacked. <laughs> but that's about it. And on the other side, we got Chris Moutinho, 9-5-0, um, 29 years old, so he's quite a bit younger. 5'7", 70-inch reach, so he's got a 1-inch height advantage, 2-inch uh, reach advantage. He is training out of Uppercuts Boxing slash uh, Lozon MMA. I do believe that his main camp is Lozon, but it's a little hard to tell from the Instagram. I do encourage all of you to... Go on Instagram, double check the better the fighters that you're gonna bet on, and make sure that they look good. Make sure where they've been training at. Make sure they haven't just been at home. You know, those things are are important to look at. And it sounds silly, but what can you do? And then, all right. So first of all, Moutinho's like a you guys know the saying like failing upwards. Like Moutinho failed upwards. I mean, all right. I guess you can't say upwards because like Sean O'Malley's the way better than Kennedy, you know? It's, like, not even comparable. But what I mean by upwards, I mean is one second he's at CFFC fighting a guy like Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Salas, who, you know, is a middle-of-the-road guy. And next thing you know, he's fighting O'Malley, gets murdered, and all of a sudden he's got another UFC fight. And not only that, he's a minus-150 favorite. Talk about failing upwards. Um, I'll say this. I went into this fight convinced that I was going to bet Guido. I was convinced. Um, here's what ended up changing my mind. So, watching the tape, right? I, I was watching his Mana Martinez fight because I figured, like, first of all, I think Martinez sparks Moutinho. Um, I think he does so on the feet. And so, let me see how Kennedy works with uh, Martinez, you know? MMA math is garbage, but it does help to have reference points. I will say that. So, he it's weird. It's really weird. He got the split from the judges. Most people don't agree. I don't agree. My issue is he doesn't throw any punches. He's a kicker. I hate, I hate people who only kick. Every time I think of it, I think of KB Bueller fighting Andre Mikolitis. If you haven't seen the fight and you want to aggravate yourself, go look up that fight because it's like, you just hold your head and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I had money at uh, Bueller at Underdog Odds and it, 
it must have been one of the worst bets I've ever placed in my life because that guy was not UFC caliber. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought he would throw punches, and I think he threw like five. So, yeah, I don't like people who strictly kick. Kennedy looked great kicking. I mean, powerful, powerful kicks. But there just wasn't much else. Like, he grapples well. Grappling defense is good. Scrambles are great. He got on top of uh, Martinez. And, you know, he's just like, there's just nothing really to say about him that's good. He's 2-5-0 and in the UFC. 7-14 of fights in the UFC, so he spent half his career here. But he's been extremely inactive. Uh, about an hour in the cage. So, you know, he's got a good amount of experience advantage in terms of cage time against Moutinho. But Moutinho's got a ton of fights, too. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, the times are pretty much even. As, at least the fight amount is. I mean, look at the record. 9-5-0, 8-6-0. And Moutinho's also got a 6-2-1 amateur record. So, technically, he's got more time in the cage. And, you know, so I watched two fights that helped me make my decision. It was uh, Andrew Salas' fight and the Sean O'Malley fight. So the Salas fight, what I was thinking was, all right, let me see how he is against guys who are not Sean O'Malley. Um, one second, my screen is bugging out. It always does this when I don't move my mouse, and then I'm worried if you guys can actually see me or not. So one second, I am waiting for my camera to load back at me. All right, there it is. Cool. So yeah, so I watched the Salas fight and and the O'Malley fight. So first with the Salas fight, you know he he looked okay. He looked pretty good. Salas is no, a nobody, but that's what you want to see from guys who end up in the UFC. You want them, you want to see them fucking up nobodies because you don't go to the regional scene and fight Peter Yan or Kamaru Usman. You you don't do that. That's not how it works. You go to the regional scene, you fight a Pepsi can, then you fight a Coca Cola can, then you fight a Sprite can. And eventually, you know, you work your way up. So, against Salas, he was piecing him the fuck up. Salas w looked like Moutinho against uh, O'Malley. He was just getting pieced up, hands down, getting fucked up. Moutinho strikes a lot. He throws incredible volume. His accuracy is garbage, I'll say that. But he throws so much volume, he does land. He doesn't seem to have much power. Bit of a pillow fist, but... <clears throat> What it comes down to is Kennedy is 42. Kennedy, too, doesn't have any hands. Kennedy is... Yeah, <laughs> Kennedy's old, has no hands, and he's not active. That's what it really comes down to for me. I What I see is I expect Moutinho to just press forward. Um, if you press forward, a kicker's not going to be able to kick because think about how you kick. You need to wind up. You need to find your space. You need to find your angle. If you're against the fence, it's very, very difficult to throw a good kick. So, I I expect Moutinho to crowd him. I expect Kennedy to eventually fold under the pressure. By fold, I don't mean I think Moutinho's going to get a finish. I, I don't know here. You know, I saw the over-under set at, like, pick him. But, like, how can you trust either of these guys to finish the other? What's Kennedy going to do? Like, kick Moutinho till he knocks out? Could. What's Moutinho going to do? Punch, punch, pillow, punch until Kennedy's tired? He could. But I don't know. This fight's extremely low level. Um, there's really so much that we can break down as handicappers here. And yeah, I'll say this. Don't play Kennedy as an underdog unless you really have a strong feeling about it. 
Don't play Moutinho money line at minus fifty, minus one fifty or whatever. It, it, let's see what it's at right now. We're gonna check together. I do want to say it's minus one fifty ish. Normally, when I quote odds, like the odds I have on my charts, those are bet online just because I find that most people who aren't in a legal state will have those books. So I'm trying to reach everybody equally. So <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, so the way I ended up playing this was I did Chris Moutinho in round three, first sprinkle, and then I did, let me give you the exact numbers, I don't want to just be <coughs> telling you guys stuff. Alright, so what I did was Moutinho round three, I got that for plus 800, I played it for 0.1 unit. If you look at my stuff and you see those kinds of plays, the point one, the point two five, you guys have to understand I usually keep that to like big underdog odds and like alright, so for example, I'm not confident in Moutinho, but I think he wins. How do I think he wins? I think he made the wins by decision or in round three by KO. So what am I what am I gonna do rather than playing money line? I'm gonna play point one unit on the round three so that if it works I get a fucking point eight unit return. 0.25 unit play on the decision. So if that hits, I'm plus 225 cashing. And if it misses, I only lost 0.35. But I can gain a unit. So for me, that risk seems worth it against a 42-year-old man. And even though I think that Chris Moutinho is quite literally being... A, like, he's failing upwards. He's a favorite because he got beat up by Sean O'Malley so well, you know? Like, if Canetti fought Sean O'Malley before this fight, I promise you he would be, like, plus 300. Like, you know, like, I want to start figuring out how to really break down, not the fights, but the way that handicappers look at these things. Not handicappers, more so odds makers. Because everything is so short-minded. So short-minded. Another good example is, I'm saying this as someone on the McKinney side, the McKinney line. Look at this shit. If McKinney never finished Farazim the way he did, McKinney would not be a plus even 200. Now it's like plus 170, 150 uh, underdog. But he would be, he'd, he'd be a lot further in my opinion. What is he now? He's plus 144-ish. Like, yeah, that's, in my opinion, that's like surprising. I would have expected like, I would have expected quite a bit better from him. So... I lost my train of thought there, but regardless, the pick is going to be Moutinho by decision and round three are my sprinkles, but that's going to be it for that fight. Moving on. Alrighty. So, apologize for pulling up these odds, I mean these uh, pages over here. I'm just trying to keep everything up. So this fight is interesting. We got Cody Brundage versus Dalcha Lungiambula. And this was actually the very first bet I placed, all right? So we got Brundage, 6'2-0", 27 years old, 6 foot tall, 72 years old, uh, 72, oh my lord, 72 inch reach, and he's training out of Factory X. He's fighting Dalcha Lungiambula. Dalcha is 11'3-0", 34 years old, he is 5'8", and he's got a 76 inch reach and a four inch reach advantage. Um, 
Something worth noting, Lungian Bula does not train at Team Champion anymore. He trains at Sanford MMA. Which for a guy like him... If you've watched my previous videos, I am a Sanford MMA fella. I think extremely highly of that camp and I get really excited when people switch there. And I'd have to go back and double check like my picks and who was in Sanford. But I'm pretty sure I've been fairly uh, correct about them winning more than they lose. So... It's a good look for Dolce, especially considering that the guy's a judo guy who doesn't use his judo much and whose striking is very focused on knocking people out. So, I apologize. I'm just pulling this up real quick. So, yeah, so a guy like him, like, I'm happy to see him at Sanford MMA, you know? So, let's look at his four fights in the UFC, right? He's got four fights in the UFC. 2-2-0 is his UFC record. 14 total fights. 51 minutes in the UFC. Control time for and against. 12% for, 8 against. Now, I bring this up. Why? We're going to get to this soon. Brundage is a really good fucking wrestler, alright? We'll get there next. Now, we look at the numbers, right? I mean, at the fights and the numbers. So, the first fight, Dalcha, you can't see the bottom one, but it's Daquan Townsend. Daquan fucking sucks. Alright? He beat him in round three. Cool. Then he loses to Magomed on Caleb. Magomed is a beast. Okay. So we disregard the last two fights. Then we got Lungiambula versus Perez, right? <sighs> Sorry about the deep breaths. And just look at the numbers, right? So 29 strike, significant strikes to 25. One takedown, blah, 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 blah. Dolce did get a good amount of control time in that fight. It... Let's see the number exactly. Almost seven minutes. And I'll say this. If not for the grappling, Dalcha lost that fight. And you'll say, Mike, it's an MMA fight. Sure, yes. But now we're breaking down a fight with the grappler. So, if, if, if a guy can't outstruck Marcus Perez, outstrike Marcus Perez, and won't be able to grapple, what's he going to do? Then his fight against Mark Andre Barrial, you know, he looked a little better. Round round one, he beat he beat him up in the beginning, but then he slowed down. And it's like it's very similar to Khalil Roundtree, where it's like two different fighters, but in the same round, even like even in round one, you'll see the difference, right? So like Dolce, he'll start, and he looks terrifying. I mean, he's just sh throwing hands extremely quickly with a ridiculous amount of power and just fucking you up for no reason. But, you know, you wait two, three minutes, and now he's striking like a regular person, but slower. And with less technique, because he doesn't have as much technique. He's more of a power guy. So, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be difficult for Lungi and Bula really to impose anything on Brundage. Because his one thing is he's a judo guy, right? He's got a really good judo game. 75% takedown defense. Only one submission loss. So it seems like he can hold his own on the ground, but... Alright, let's assume... Before I say my next part, let's assume that Dalcha can keep it up. Right? Dalcha actually has the 4-inch reach advantage here, if I remember correctly. We're looking at... Let's see. 72 to 76. So 4 inches, right? And... A really good book, if you haven't read it yet before. Severely outdated, but... Fightnomics. They got the right idea and they have the train the trends correct. And 
what they said is that a reach advantage means essentially nothing without without a height advantage and you know that makes sense and that's that's what we're looking at here so if you're looking at dolce and you're like i want to bet dolce it's four inches smaller though but four inches reach advantage according to the stats at least from i don't fucking know when this book was published mad long ago 2013 right so let's say we're in 2013 still like there's no there'd be there'd be no advantage according to the stats i know that things change and it's been like nine years since so i'm sure things are so different but you know that's what i can give you in terms of that now in terms of striking what to expect from lungi and Bula, you know he's just, like i said it's just Loading up power shots, throwing that right hand a lot, huge overhand rights. But the thing with overhand rights, like I always say, is, or lefts, it doesn't matter what arm it is, overhands, loaded up shots, because of the power behind that shot, it's physically impossible to be ready to, like, recover and defend right away. You're just overextended, and your face is right wide open. Brundage isn't some, like, boxer. He's not. He's at a factory X, so he's getting a good game. He's getting good partners. He's working with a good coach. His wrestling background is fantastic. Two-time NCAA qualifier, Division II wrestler. Um, one thing, like, you know, people are disregarding his wrestling, I think, in here. They're like, all right, Dolch is a judo player, 75% takedown defense, right? Brundage got out-wrestled by Maximov. But can we look at Maximov? Like, I made the same point when I was betting Maximov over Punali Sariano. Maximov disabled Brundage, who is such a fucking good wrestler. And now that I'm working off Brundage and Lungimbua, I'm telling you right now that Brundage is being underestimated as a wrestler. He's much, much, much better wrestling-wise than people are making it out to be. And his striking's not bad either. You can see him fainting. He puts together combinations. He's got good knees, good jabs, and he's got a good one too. So he's got the basics down. He's still a wrestle boxer, but he does it well, and he does his game well, and he wrestles well. I think that round one is going to start with Dolce throwing his hooks, probably get Brundage against the fence. Bop, 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 bop. Eventually, Brundage gets off the fence. Where it gets interesting is I am really curious to how Brundage does with the takedowns because let's go look at Lungiambula's numbers and he's only been taken down by Magomed and Caleb. that's it that's literally the only guy who's taken him down and Magomed, Magomed shot four times that fight so he actually defended 75% of those shots but you know Magomed we're going to get to him later he's a Sambo guy you know so yeah his grappling's sick but that's not his first game Brundage, that's his game. One point of reference I think that's helpful here is the William Knight fight, right? If you if you ha had me compare Dolce to somebody in that weight class who's similar, I think that William Knight would be one of the first I'd come up with. Short, stocky, ripped, explosive, power, right? What did Brundage do in their Daniel White contender series? Took him down immediately, got hooks in on the back, flattened him out, started pounding him out, did not succeed. Knight uses power to get up, and then he loses by leaving his head on the side of Knight in a sloppy takedown, and Knight just going like this. So, you know, he's young, 
makes mistakes. Maybe the fight IQ is not all there, but I think his wrestling is elite. I think he can take the heat from hard shots, and I do expect him to beat Dalcha. Not easily, but I do expect him to look like he should have been a favorite. Um, I ended up getting him, I want to say, plus 112. I see that now he's about... I'm so slow. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. If I was calling him Brunson again, I'm so sorry. I, I've been calling this guy Brunson for so long. Um, yeah, you can get him for plus 110 now. So, it's not that much lower, but on most books it is. So, yeah, my pick is Cody Brundage. I think that he should be able to edge out a decision here. I don't think we're going to see a finish, but who knows. But, yeah, that is my pick. I do really need to use the restroom. So, we're going to take a break right now, and we will be right back.
guys. I apologize for that. That was a tremendously long break. Um, I had to use the bathroom. <laughs> That's really all it was. Um, I will say this. I was, you know, doing the bathroom scroll on Twitter, and I just want to say, you know, handicappers put in a lot of work for what they do. We don't just come up with these picks. We spend a lot of hours uh, looking at tape, looking at stats, and putting things together. So I just don't like when people disrespect handicappers for no reason. Um, there's a guy rampaging about people who charge money for picks. I don't charge money. There's people who don't charge money, and there are people who do charge money. And in my opinion, if they're making money, then they deserve to charge money if they want to. And no one's making you pay for it. So I don't see what there is to complain about. Um, and I just wanted to rant that out real quick. I do see that we're already 50 minutes into this fucking stream and we're only four fights in. So I'm going to try to pick it up because I'm sure you are all sick and tired of me. I do want to remind you I do leave timestamps. So just feel free to skip around if you're sick and tired of hearing me talk. So here we got Sabina Mazo versus Miranda Maverick. Mazo is 9-3-0. and She's 24 years old, 5'7", 70-inch reach. And so camp-wise, actually, she normally trains out of King's MMA, but she spent, I think, the last two weeks at Glover's camp. So, cool. I'm not sure what two weeks will do for you, really. I'm assuming she went to go work on her grappling. But, you know, we're not miracle workers as humans, um, at least speaking from my wrestling experience. I've said this before. I don't have any MMA experience, but I have wrestled, not collegiate, so I'm not elite. But I will say that two weeks is most likely not enough to really, really, really improve. You know, I just don't think so. Now on the other side, we got Miranda Maverick, 9-4-0, 24 years old. So they're the same age, five foot three. She's actually giving up a four inch height advantage, and sixty five point five inch reach. So she's actually giving up four point five inches in reach. And then you look at it and you're like, <laughs> Maravich's what? She's like minus three hundred now, minus three ten across the board. Like, holy fuck. Um, I guess the one thing going for her is the Elevation Fight Team, first of all. Trevor Whitman, lit. Rose Namajunas, my favorite woman fighter, lit. You know, JJ Aldrich is there. There's some great looks for her there. Um, I've heard this before spoken about, like, people from, like, um, sorry if my, like, grammar's, like, all fucked. I'm tired. Laura Sanko on the Contender Series was, like, talking about how it's important for women to train with other women. As a guy, I wouldn't really know this, but I can imagine how that makes sense. And it does, it, it does ha like, comfort me that Maraverick's over there training with JJ. She's over there training with Rose, you know? And vice versa. JJ's ver tra uh, training with Maverick. JJ's training with Rose. We'll get to JJ later. But she's had a really good camp. She's got a great coach. And already, you know, she burst into the scene an animal. Um, I know we were all high on Mar Miranda Maverick. And I actually wasn't at first. Like, her Liana Jawa fight. I actually think I pet Jawa. And then I was like, fuck, I'm an idiot. And then I bet her against Robertson, who she crushed, uh, which showed, you know, if you if you got a wrestling game and you can't land on her, you're fucked. Macy Barber got outstruck by Maverick, somehow got the split. I think Dana, maybe not Dana, but I think something sneaky happened there. Um, 
you know, Barbara was one of their huge prospects who totally tanked down the toilet and even lost to Roxanne. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and speculate. And then she got killed by Blanchfield, but I think we all acknowledge that Blanchfield is an elite level talent. And she's like 22. So I'm extremely excited to see her fight over and over and eventually fight Shevchenko because this girl's tough. But, anyways, back to Maverick. Maverick. <laughs> back to Maverick. So, alright, her control time for and against, I mean, for against won't really matter because Maslow's not going to wrestle her. But either way, it's 8% control time for, 8% control time against. Uh, Maverick's UFC record, like I just said, 2 2 and 0. Oh. She's got a great feints, good jab, good output, good combos. She doubles up on the jab, which I fucking love when they go pop, 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 rather than just pop. Good uh, kicks <clears throat> and a great one, too. BJJ wise, this is another thing to consider because Mazo just got submitted by Agapova, who, you know, a lot of people were high on Agapova right before the Morales fight, but she's not some sub animal. Miranda Maverick has nine submission wins, 10 if you count Shauna Young during their Invicta exhibition, right? No submission losses. Mazo has one sub loss, so, you know, it's not like her main way to lose but she lost in her last fight by sub on the feet i think it's going to be close if this was a kickboxing bout i can't imagine that we'd be past pick home i really can't because while maverick might be a little fresher newer better camp and more exciting um and maybe a bit more explosive and maybe even a bit more technical um maso is also really good at striking and she's long she's got a good reach she uses it well she moves around she does non-stop forward pressure. I'll start with this. I don't have any any play on Maverick other than uh, parlay with Magomedov. For, uh, Magomed, Magomed on Kalev for one unit. And looking at these odds now, I kind of wish I had just taken Maso. Bet MGM, you can still get her plus 270. Otherwise, she's about plus 250 across the board. I just... Look... I'll tell you why I thought Maverick will win, and that's because I thought that her striking would be enough and her grappling would equalize. And I do think so. I do. I do. But I fear that Maverick might struggle in the stand-up. And with a person like Mazo at plus 250, plus 270, I mean, you kind of got to be <laughs> You have to be dumb not to take it, honestly. So that makes me dumb. That does make me dumb. And I didn't do that. Um, I'm not telling you to do it. I don't want to end up with different bets than my listeners. So I'm just going to tell you what I have. You can listen to my breakdown, double check, and then let me know what you end up with. But I do have Maraverick parlayed, but I'm with just and Caleb. Nobody else, no round robins, nothing of the sort. But I have no interest in anything else. I am going to look at the Maverick sub, though. That I will. I think I might have already played it. I don't remember. <laughs> I'll tell you guys after this. All right. Next fight. So actually, I think I have a pretty strong opinion on this one compared to some others. Sorry, I was just checking the odds because I literally have alerts set. I'm tracking these uh, Camilla Kirk odds because if this man hits anything in plus odds, I mean, I'm going in for two units. I just am. Uh, we have Damon Jackson versus Camilla Kirk. Damon Jackson is 19-4-1. 33 years old 
5 foot 11, 73 inch reach. He's training out of Fortis MMA. Kemo Kirk, on the other hand, 11 4 0, um, 27 years old, 5 foot 10, 75 inch reach. And his main camp is CJ MMA. That's the fight that he, the camp that he claims. That's the one he's posting about. But um, it does appear, according to his Instagram, that he also spent time at Fight Ready. So that's worth noting, I guess. Um, all right, here's what I think, right? So Damon Jackson, he was in the UFC previously. He had two fights, got cut, right? All right. Then he comes back, and he wins two, loses one. Uh, that one loss is Ilya Tapuria. He got knocked out. And then he was getting the shit beat out of him by Mirsad Bektich. I sprinkled Jackson, so I was fucking hype. Uh, he got a submission. I think it was round three. And then the Charles Rosa fight. You know, he looked great. He, I was watching. I was like, damn. He got a good striking going. Um, for a grappler, I mean, the dude was tripling up on his jab. Like, I fucking love that shit. Um, it looked amazing. He has good combos, good punches, good kicks to the head. And he holds a decent guard. So, like, you know, watching that uh, Rosa fight, I was like, all right, this guy's a lot better than maybe I, I was giving him uh, credit for. Uh, Grappling-wise, you know, he goes straight for the takedown, times those doubles really well. Uh, he's got good work on top. This is where it gets crazy. So the guy's got 19 wins, right? 14 wins are by submission. Alright? 14 out of 19 wins are by submission. So the guy can fucking grapple. Um, only one sub loss. You know, I thought he was a black belt going into this, a BJJ black belt. According to BetMMA.tips, he's a purple belt. I am not sure how accurate that is because they had someone else later on as a purple, as a brown belt who was a black belt. So, I'm not sure how accurate that is. Regardless of his belt, his grappling is clearly really good. But one thing I'll point out is I want to look at what those submissions were, right? Because a guillotine is one thing and a rear naked is the other. A guillotine needs good timing. Any other choke needs good technique, right? Along with good timing. So Bektish guillotine, then rear naked, rear naked, arm triangle, rear naked, rear naked, rear naked. Arm triangle ring. Nah, this guy's hitting only the hard subs. <laughs> so Jackson is no joke on the ground. He is not. Um, I just... Alright, so Kamala Kirk. Uh, I, I went over his numbers. His one UFC fight, he's only had one. He's had two fights technically in the UFC. One was on the Contender Series against uh, Billy Corintillo. Um... I was curious to see if Corinteo like out takedown him and stuff, but Corinteo had like most of his strikes at distance, and he outstruck him big time. So that was one thing. But Billy's also a fucking animal. Um, Kirk came in short notice against Machwan Mercani, and the fight before that, he fought Daniel Swain on short notice in LFA, and Swain actually quit on the stool. And then he came in. He was gonna fight Machwan. I bet on him as an underdog, and I did cash. It was a little greasy. It helped that, um, you know, it, help, it helped that uh, Merkwan Amerkani uh, slowed down big time. But what it showed me was, A, Kirk has really good striking. I would like more of an output, but I think part of the reason we didn't see so much of it was the short notice nature of the fight. Um, 
his strikes are good. He's got a good jab, nice kicks, nice right hand, nice hooks. Striking defense is at 30%, but please keep in mind that's with those numbers from Quarantino. If he's only got a two-fight sample size, so his stats are going to be, you know, skewed one way or another. He's got really solid takedown defense. He's very flexible. He's able to stay up on one leg against Emirkani. Uh, when he did get taken down, he was pretty quick to get back up. And, you know, even if he struggled, like, he was putting in... He wasn't just taking the... He wasn't just laying on his back and, like, you know, holding full guard. He was pushing. He was trying to get up. He has no submission losses. He's a black belt himself. He's got a four-inch reach advantage here. And it's looking like I'm going to get him at underdog odds. So... You know, the younger guy by six years, he's got a two-inch reach advantage. He's a lot less one-dimensional. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, okay, it's maybe wrong to call Damon Jackson one-dimensional because he can't actually strike. But his main game is grappling, so that's what I'm thinking here. That's why I said one-dimensional. I think most likely how it's going to play out is Kamala Kirk is going to outstrike him on the feet. And then Jackson will probably shoot. I think he'll probably get Kirk down a few times. But I think that Kirk's going to get up. And I think he's going to continue to block the shots. And I think that he's going to be able to get it done. Um, do I think it's inside the distance? Nah, probably not. I think uh, we'll probably see a decision. I'm curious what those odds look like. But I've been so wary of hitting these over-under props. It's so difficult. But... Fight doesn't go plus 120. Fight goes minus 150. You don't really have an edge there, so I don't. I don't think anybody should bet that. But if you see a good read, let me know. Uh, all right. So yeah. So I like Campbell Kirk. Similar to Tafan, I don't have a bet on him yet. I am gonna keep watching these lines. Um, they pretty much haven't moved since last night. Uh, I'm a little worried to lose the minus 110, but like I'm willing to risk possibly having to pay minus 115 in order to possibly get plus numbers. So I'm going to hold on there, and I'm holding on for uh, who was our fellow before that I just spoke about. I'm sorry. Tafan. Yeah, so I'm waiting on him too to see what happens. But Camuela Kirk is my pick. All right, here we got Trevin Jones versus Javid Basharat. This is a bantamweight bout. Trevin Jones is 13, 7, and 0. He's 31 years old, 5 foot 7, 70 inch reach. And he's training out of Vita BJJ. He's also a southpaw, so that's worth noting. Basharat, on the other hand, switch stance, so that southpaw won't matter that much. 11, 0, and 0, undefeated fighter. He's 26, so he's five years younger, five foot nine, two inches taller, and he's got a 69 inch reach, so he is giving up a reach and uh, an inch in reach advantage. Um, that London shoot fighters is incorrect. He's actually training at Extreme Couture right now, which is very good. Very happy with that. Um, all right, so go. Let's run over them real quick, right? Um, first thing noting. Trevin Jones has three fights in the UFC, right? He is 
2-1-0 in there. And who did he fight? He fought Timur Valiev. What happened? Timur Valiev came in as a minus something, like three, 400 favorite. Beat him up in round one. Round two starts. Valiev's tired. Jones hit, uh, lands a hook. Peace. Batista fight. Similar story, but without the gassing. Batista didn't gas. He just got hit. Sleep. Um, and then he fought Sadiqa uh, Kakramanov, who I'm crazy high on. And I don't blame him at all for losing to him, even on short notice, even as a favorite. You know, I was on Kakramanov, and I, I did think he, he was going to win that. And it turned out how I thought, so I don't blame Jones here. Um, Javid, for anybody who doesn't know, he was on the Contender Series this last uh, season. And, you know, it's kind of wild because it's like, what's... Why beef right now, you know? Like aside from just being like, Oh, I'll kill you, I'll beat you up, whatever. These two got in each other's face, him and Oren Cologne, right? I'm gonna preface pre preface this with this. I'm a Jew. Um I'm a Jew who, while not agreeing with all politics and not bringing that up, am still you know, I like to see the Israeli flag hung up sometimes with the fighter. Like it's I'd like to see it sometimes shown, like Israelis aren't all bad. And, you know, I was hyped to see Cologne pro possibly put it up. And then he gets to weigh in, he gets the face-offs, and he calls uh, Basharat a terrorist. And then I was just like, all right, fuck you, and I hope you get cooked. And that's what happened. Basharat cleaned him out. I mean, he vacuumed him off the fucking sidewalk, this guy. He, he fucked him up. There's no other way to put it. Like, let me put up the stats for you guys. He, he he bitched him. And it was a glory to watch because there was no one at the moment who deserved it more than Oran Cologne. Look at that. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. 70 to 12 significant strikes. I know most of them were on the ground, but even standing, he was beating him up. Uh, three takedowns, one sub attempt. I believe that's the one he landed. <laughs> This kid's tough, you know? He's tough, and another thing I think w worth noting is going into that fight with Oran, right? He got called a terrorist. He was, I'm sure he was very upset. He's, he's young, like, he takes it personally. Like, he he's just here to fight, and this guy's coming at him in the weirdest way for no reason, you know? Most guys would be like, all right, I'm going to kill him. And they'll go out in that fight, and they'll just swing, swing, swing. Nah. Javid wanted to torture this guy, and he took his sweet-ass time, he didn't gas him out, and he waited until he's ready to just finish him, and he made sure that when he attempted it, he was gonna finish, and I, I was very impressed, I was very impressed with the way he fought, I was impressed with this tape beforehand, um, tell me not, he reminds me of a, a little bit of a darker Conor McGregor, <laughs> especially the way he fights, like, go watch his bout with Oren, tell, tell me he's not a McGregor twin. Um, striking wise, you know, Basharat, he's got really good striking, nice straight punches, good jab, good one-two, great body shots, good knees, very fast. Um, his grappling's great. He's got good top control, very nasty grounded pound. Um, his defensive grappling's okay. I haven't seen it tested much. Um, his back take is crazy for his BJJ game. Six sub wins, zero sub losses. Movement wise, he cuts the cage very well. And overall, for a 26-year-old guy, you know, I, I just think he's very, 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 very intelligent in the ring. I think he's extremely fluid, and I think that he's very he has a very high fight IQ. So I'm actually a really big fan of this guy, Javid. Now, here's my concern. 
Jones is no slouch. He's not. We keep looking him over, over and over again because it's like, all right, he was just a dog that got lucky, and then he was just a dog that got lucky twice, and then against Kakramanov, people started slowly going over the other way, and now he lost, and now it's the other way. He's good. Trevin Jones can strike too. He's not bad at striking. His control time: seven percent control time, four, one percent against. You know, Javid's got ten minutes, four zero against. So, but. Also, good numbers. One thing with Jones is he's very irresponsible in terms of his striking defense. 38% striking defense is hot garbage. Um, 71% takedown defense, though, which is good. Uh, three submission wins, two sub losses, one of those being to Side Jacob. According to John Anik, he's a multiple time no gi BJJ uh, champion. I couldn't find such results on the internet. And while it looks like he does hold up very well, I'm not sure about that. But I'm not going to sit here and say John Anik's a liar. John Anik is the best in the game. And if he found something I did not, it's way more likely that he's right and I'm wrong than I am right and he's wrong. So I'll say that. But overall, I think that on the feet, Javid is going to be better. I think that if we get to the ground, Javid will be better. I'm a little nervous about what happens if Javid gets desperate and can't get it. But overall, you know, Jones is low output also. It's not like he's putting numbers out there to make you think. Um, yeah, I, I have a... I want to say it's just a unit on Basharat. But... And then I did a quarter unit with him and Caleb. Maybe I'll do a little more. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, torn about this card. It's a rough card. Sorry, I'm over-scrolling real quick. I just wanted to see where the main card starts. <clears throat> Once again, I'm very sorry about the super long video. I'm a bit of a talker. And, you know, it's been a long day and I've just been chilling, talking with you guys. So if you do have an issue, feel free. I always make sure to have timestamps up. Just timestamp around and get what you need and head out if you need to. But if you're here listening to me, I appreciate you. And let's continue. So. Quick nicotine break. Alrighty. So, here we got JJ Aldrich versus Jillian Robertson. Aldrich is 10 4 0. She's 29 years old, 5 foot 5, 67 and a half inch reach. And like I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about Marat. Why do I keep doing that? When I was talking about Maverick, um, she does fight at elevation as well with um, Maverick and uh, Rose Nama Yunus. Now, all right. On the other side, Julian Robertson. <coughs> excuse me. Is 10 6 and 0. Uh, 26 years old. Wow, that's younger than I thought it was. Didn't expect that number. Whew. Robertson has 11 fights in the UFC, and she's 26. How did I miss that? Wow. Okay. That's impressive. But anyways, um, five foot five, same as Aldrich, and 63-inch reach. She's giving up four inches reach advantage. It does say that she trains at an ATT, but according to her Instagram, her last two camps, at least as far as I could tell, are Go Tread MMA, which I think is in Florida, 
and Glory MMA, which is not in Florida, if I remember correctly. But, all right, so, let's see. I, I want to just see what's worth bringing up to you guys. All right, one thing is Jillian Robertson. We all know she's a very, very good grappler, right? The thing is, she's not, it's not like she's, like, racking up takedowns, you know? Like, all right, let me pull it up to show you guys what I mean. But look, she's averaging 2.56 per fight, which is good, right? But is she really throwing that many takedowns per fight? One, two, zero, three, three. Zero, two, two. Of course, you know, those numbers don't matter as much if she's putting up a lot of ground control. But what I'm trying to prove is that she doesn't, she's not some top, top, top wrestler, right? And then you look at her takedown defense, it's 16%. Why is it 16%? Is she really that bad? No, she just, she's more than happy to go on her back. She, she wants to grapple. She wants to get on the ground. Why? Because look at her striking. It's rough. Um... I just saw somebody hammer like four units on Robertson. And while I understand why she's a favorite and why you'd want to bet her, like that's a scary amount of units to put on somebody who really cannot strike, who really just can't strike well. I mean, all right, I want to go through her last few fights with you guys, right? Priscilla Cachera, round one, she beat her rear naked. but And you see she outstruck her, but if we look at the numbers, distance strikes... Kachera actually doubled her numbers. Robertson only did well on the ground. Before that, she got cooked by Maverick. Why? Because she couldn't out-grapple Maverick. She got murked by Talia Santos. Why? Because she couldn't out-grapple Talia Santos. Pollyanna Botelio, she beat. But it was honestly, you know, it, it, it was a... I think it was a little bit closer of a fight than, it, than the numbers show. At least that's what it looked like to me. Um, yeah, I just... I feel that... JJ is going to have a good enough takedown defense to keep this up. And as I'm going to cover right now, I think her striking is going to be better. Um, you look at her numbers, her last fight, Vanessa Demopoulos, you know, she put up 93. In her fight against Courtney Casey, she just out-wrestled her uh, split decision. And then you got um, Sabrina Mazo. she lost to. That's a split, even though look at those numbers. Um, then you got Aldrich against Moeller and all this stuff, you know, from back in the day. But not even back in the day, 2018. But regardless, Aldrich, you know, I like her jab a lot. She feints good with her strikes. Um, she got good combinations as well. I mean, she was just teeing off against Demopolis. Demopolis is no Robertson, I understand. But it's I feel like on the feet, Demopolis might even be better than Robertson. So... That's how I felt there. Um, Aldrich is also a BJJ bla uh, per, uh, brown belt. Robertson, according to BetMMA.tips, is a purple belt. I don't know how true that is because she looks like a black belt with her 11 submission wins, but it's hard to tell. Uh, on those submission wins, you know, Aldrich had, only has two sub losses. And one of them was in the Ultimate Fighter. And I don't think the other one was in the UFC. No, it wasn't. So... In the UFC, Aldrich has not been subbed, and I am not sure that Robertson will be strong enough to do that. Um, so yeah, I actually went into this thinking, okay, it's going to be either Robertson or bust, or, you know, just fade. And then I watched, and I watched, and I watched, and 
I have two units on Aldrich. <laughs> I got her at a pretty decent price that I actually really liked. Um, I don't remember it, so I'm going to pull it up for you guys real quick. While I'm pulling this up, I just see my tabs. I really want to go to UFC 273. I'm like trying to decide if I should just throw the money on it. It got so... I was going to buy tickets yesterday and it was way cheaper and now it's just gone. Um, that was a bummer. But alright, let's pull up these numbers. I just want to tell you guys the odds I got. That's all I want. I got plus 122, and I, I do really like that. I'm very proud of that line, honestly. Um, look, the girl's got takedown defense. She's 61% takedown defense for Aldrich. She's a better striker, in my opinion. She's at the better camp, in my opinion. Um, their experience in the UFC is very close. It's 11 fights to 9 fights. Um, Percentage-wise, it's also close. 69% for Robertson, 64 for Aldrich. Um. Yeah, I mean that's really what it comes down to. I just think that Aldrich is going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit of a better striker, and Robertson doesn't do well if she can't get it down. So I like my two units plus one twenty-two. Maybe I overextended on the dog. I almost never, ever, 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 ever bet two units on somebody like on a WMMA fight. It's not because I'm a sexist pig. <laughs> I'm pretty sure numbers-wise, actually, my best um, my best ROI is on women. But what I mean is just it, it's hard to... I feel like the outcomes are more... There's more volatility to them, even more so than on the men fights, which may be untrue. Maybe I'm just biased. It's just how I feel, but it doesn't really have much to do with this pick. Um, yeah, my pick is J.J. Aldrich. I do enjoy that plus 122. I think that's a good line. Banger alert. Banger alert. So here we got Matt Semmelsberger versus AJ Fletcher. Semmelsberger is 9-3-0. and 0. 29 years old, six foot one, 75 inch reach, and as silly as that camp name looks, that appears to be correct according to his Instagram, uh, crazy eight eight BJJ. Um, I want to double check one more time. If you've watched my videos before, you know I like to show you guys the process because. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't encourage you guys to follow any handicapper without double-checking yourself, so. Yeah, it appears he's training at Crazy 8-8 still, as, at least as of two weeks ago. Um, yeah, it seems like he's doing a lot of at-home training. Crazy 8-8. Nothing that's like, oh, wow, he's got some great training partners. And then... AJ Fletcher on the other side, nine and zero, undefeated, twenty five years old, five foot ten, so he's giving up three inch reach, three inches in height, and he's got a sixty seven inch reach, so he's giving up, oh fuck, five, 
I want to say it's like eight inches. It could be more, it could be less. I'm not a math guy. There's a reason I'm in law school. But yeah, he's given up a lot of reach, and I'll get to it. Anyways, talking a bit about their fights. AJ Fletcher is a contender series fella. He fought this Italian dude. Um, I don't remember the name exactly, and he did good. He did good. He 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 put up good strikes. He gave the guy a lot to think about. Um, he's got a nice one too. Good hook. Very explosive shots. Um, and his wrestling was good. He took uh, him down. I want to say twice. That's what I want to say, but I'm not positive, so I'm gonna double check. No, he only took him down one time, so I was incorrect. But he took him down. The striking, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say that it was way too, like, leaning towards Fletcher. Like, it was decently close. And then Fletcher landed a flying knee. Flying knee's a flying knee. But, look, Fletcher hasn't fought anyone good. Um, Fletcher hasn't really gone past... Yeah, he's been to one decision in his entire pro career, has uh, Fletcher. The thing is, um, Semmelberger's only been to two, but at least those were on the UFC level. So, yeah, and he, he's training at a Gladiators Academy. That's correct on topology. Um, Fletcher, on top of that wrestling, he's got five sub wins. I guess it's important to note that um, he doesn't have a wrestling background, and normally I'd be like, that's meaningful, but then you got guys like Marab Devashvili, who have not wrestled in the past before MMA and now look like fucking NCAA studs. So I'm not going to count him out here in terms of wrestling. But here's what I'm thinking with Semmelsberger. Four fights. He's putting up 100% takedown defense, even though there's no good wrestlers yet. It's good. It's good. It's a good start. You shouldn't be getting taken down by bums, and he's not. So that's that. He's 2-1-0 in the UFC. He has an amateur record of 5-2-0 on top of that um, that professional 9-3-0. So we're looking at 14-5-0 uh, total. He's got a really good front kick. He's got very fast combinations, strong strikes, good combos, a beautiful one-two. Moves well, hands high up, 61% striking defense. Um, yeah, man. It's just... Too little information, first of all. Like, how can you confidently place a bet on anybody without more than te six, seven minutes of tape, which is the case for Fletcher? Um, I just feel that he's not going to be able to wrestle Semmelsberger. He's too small, and I think that Semmelsberger can wrestle as well. It's one thing if he was an NCAA guy. He's not. He's a guy who started MMA and liked wrestling and got good at it. And I think Samuelsberger should be able to keep it up. Um, Striking-wise, eight inches is a really big difference. It's a, it's a big deal. And I think he's going to be landing all day at distance. I think he's going to make AJ panic shoot. And maybe AJ lands a few times, but once once Samuelsberger goes up, gets up, I don't, I, I don't know how it's going to go for AJ. So what I'm thinking is Samuelsberger... Money line. I have a bit with him already with N. Caleb, like I told you guys earlier. I'm doing, but looking at their line now, yeah, it's still around the minus two twenty range. 
which is already better than when I wrote it at minus 240. Um, I do, I do want to just pull the trigger and take it, but I'm going to try to be patient and wait and see what happens. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious what Semmel's burger by decision looks like. Plus 350. I don't know if that's juicy enough for a read that I'm not sure about, but yeah, I like Semmel's burger. Um, you know, playing him money line at this chalk is a little questionable. It's looking like that's what I'm going to do, but yeah, I'm not sure about how to play him otherwise. Maybe you could play him inside the distance if you really think so. Um, I think the not goes the distance is like minus, yeah, minus 250 on Caesars. You can get it. You know, that's not a terrible look. Considering Fletcher's been to decision once and Semmel's Burgers have been to decision two times. Um, it does appear maybe that's a decent bet. I wouldn't play minus 250 on it doesn't go the distance money line, but maybe I'll parlay it. Maybe. You know, that doesn't sound terrible, actually. <coughs> Excuse me. Alrighty. We are up to the main card. Let me just get us prepared. Honestly, I feel like we passed already the better fights. Some of these fights are cool, but the ones that excited me the most are gone already. I don't know. I feel like I'm in an island, but I really like when debutantes come and fight. I think that, especially nowadays, there's so many, so many guys who are good outside the UFC, and watching them come in here and testing their medal is like fucking awesome. So I really like it. Um, for example, like I'm hyped to see Fletcher try. I'm hyped to see Basharat. I'm hyped to see Kirk go again. I'm hyped to see uh, Brundage go again. I'm hyped to see Moutinho go again. I'm hyped to see Merzakana fight again. You know, like there's so many guys I'm hyped to see. So it really is a cool uh, prospect card. I really like prospect cards and I'm hyped to see this one. Um, we have how many fights left? One, two, three, four, five, six. We got six fights left, which means we've already cooked up seven of them. Um, I need to pee real quick. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to go real quick and we'll be right back.
most of you guys just skip the breaks because they really are a waste of time. They're mostly going to be for when I go live. But if you've watched my show before, you know that the reason we do things the way they are is because I am practicing for the day that I finally have enough subscribers to finally go live because there's nothing I want more than to break down fights while hearing input from you guys and working with you. Um, that's the part of handicapping that I am most excited about. And it's the part of handicapping that I haven't gotten to do yet because, you know, I'm a nobody right now. So, um, yeah, that's why we have breaks. That's why I don't edit these things. That's why I'm not perfect. That's why you see me taking deep breaths, coughing, sneezing. You're not going to see perfect videos out of me because I want to show you the real product. I'm practicing. I'm improving. I want to get better. I want to do better. And I want to do better for you guys. So... Yeah, I mean, the goal is eventually to go live, but we do have breaks right now. We're not edited right now. So please, you know, feel free to use those timestamps to skip around. I understand everybody's busy. Um, if you actually listen to me speak, I fucking love you. So, yeah. And I want to remind everybody one more time. Um, I have charts for these things that I use to break this down for you guys where I go over, you know, I have the tail of the tape, I've got their odds, cardio, control time for, against, time in the UFC, outside of the UFC, fight percentage in the UFC, level of competition, UFC record, pro record, amateur record, and then I go over their striking, defense, striking, uh, offensive grappling, defensive grappling, offensive BJJ, defensive BJJ, movement, cage work, and then I just have some notes. So if you want those, I'm more than happy to share um, I don't get to read off every single part of this to you guys. Um, I kind of just break it down as I go and find parts that are relevant for you. But if you want to see the whole chart, I'm more, more, more than happy to share. So please hit me up, all right? So now, without further ado, let's go to the fight that a lot of people are hype about. We got Bruno Blindado Silva versus Alex Pereira. I would say his nickname, but I don't know how to pronounce that. Poetan, I think. Um... Silva's 22-6-0, so the guy's experienced, and I want to tell you guys he's fought a lot of tough Russian dudes on the ACA, ACB scene, so legit, he's legit, um, 32 years old, he's a Brazilian, but not a BJJ guy, zero submissions on his record, um, six feet tall, 74 inch reach, and it appears he's still at Evolutiao, um, Thai MMA, I do want to double check though. Oh yeah, I looked at this like the other day. Yeah, you you really it's <clears throat> it's very difficult to tell what camp he's at. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. <clears throat> but yeah, so I don't have a camp update or anything like that. Um, he's. Yeah, so, and then we on the other side, we got Alex Pereira, 4-1-0, 34 years old, 6'4", 4-inch height advantage, 80-inch reach, 6-inch reach advantage. Um, all right, so, if you guys don't know, even though I think everybody does, Alex Pereira is a glory kickboxer who has defeated Israel Adesanya two times. 
Um, the first time was by KO, I believe, and it's like, all right, you KO'd him, good for you. And then, and then he beat him by decision too. So it was like, oh fuck, what now? Um, you guys see me pulling up topology? That's because I wanna, I wanna see if I can see the kickboxing record so I can tell which came first, the KO or the decision. Israel Asanya, okay, KO. Okay, no, so he actually beat him by decision first, and then he doubled it up with the KO against Israel. So that's what happened there. Um, but my point is that he's an extremely talented kickboxer. Regardless of the order that you do it to decision and knock out Israel fucking Adesanya, is, it's big, it's big. And you'll say, no, that's not MMA, but it's not like, all right, like... It would be one thing if Izzy was a striker who could also threaten takedowns, so you got to at least think. But it, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. So if he's fighting Pereira, we're looking at a kickboxing match with fucking MMA gloves, you know? Um, I don't think striking will really come into hand. I mean, I don't think grappling will come in there. Um, unfortunately, though, he's he's got quite a long way to get to Adesanya. So... We saw, we saw that grappling hole right away, right? So he's got one loss. That's like a few years back, but it's by submission. It's by submission. And, I mean, is it surprising? No. If you're, if you're some regional guy on in fucking Brazil or wherever, and you're fighting a guy you find out who beat Israel Adesanya twice, you're either going to decide that you're going to go to sleep or you're going to try to take him down, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's what Andre Mikolitas did, right? <coughs> Excuse me. He immediately went for the takedowns. He didn't let him strike for too long. If you look at Pereira's control time, right? Control time for zero percent. Control time against twenty six percent. That's one fight, but it it it's important. Um, one thing I'd like to even out at least, you know, Silva's got so much more experience. He's got three fights in the UFC to Pereira's one. He's got twenty eight pro fights to Pereira's five. But, um, Silva doesn't have amateur fights, and Pereira has 40, excuse me, Pereira has 40 kickboxing fights, 33 wins, 7 losses, and 2 of those wins are Israel Adesanya, so, technically, he's had more time in combat sports, even though Silva has, has had way more time in MMA, um, now look, like, all right, so like you, you, you think about these things, right? And you, you look at it, you got a, a striker and a striker. Kind of like it was like with Mikelitis. And what people were thinking of in that fight, I was there live, by the way, it was sick, that knee. But what people were thinking, and rightfully so, was, you know, Mikelitis is a striker, similar to Bruno Silva. But he's also not an idiot, you know? And you got to be a fucking idiot to get out there in the UFC and try to strike with a guy like Alex Pereira. And Mikolitis is not an idiot. What did he do? He went immediately for a takedown, and he controlled Pereira and won the first round. Look, yeah, <laughs> they got up. Every fight starts, I mean, every round starts on the feet, and Pereira flying need him and put him to sleep. I just, all right, so Silva, first of all, control time for 5%, control time against 29, right? Those numbers are a bit skewed because I'm going to pull it up for you guys, but... He fought um, Andrew Sanchez, who made it very difficult for him because he did wrestle him the entire time. 
Sanchez took him down seven times. He controlled him for almost eight minutes. But in classic Andrew Sanchez fashion, he got tired and got KO'd in round three. Bruno Silva carries crazy power. Another example, Wellington Terman. The numbers may not reflect it, but if you watch the fight, actually, Terman looked like he was winning in the beginning. And it looked like he he was winning the grappling exchanges. And it only changed once they, they... uh, Silva was able to reverse position and ground and pound Terman into the fucking mat. You know, that's his thing is ground and pound. He doesn't have a, much of another grappling top game, at least from what we've seen, right? And like, Silva doesn't have a single win by, by submission. He doesn't have a single one at all, right? So it makes you wonder, like, is he, re- I see people saying he understands the assignment, um, I see that he's training. He's training grappling, right on his uh, Instagram. But what's a few weeks of grappling gonna do for you? What's three months of grappling gonna do for you? It's not enough. It's not. It's not enough at all. If I was going into a wrestling tournament and I was a good year behind uh, somebody significantly more talented than me, it doesn't matter how much more time I put that year, even if they didn't do anything. Which isn't true because Pereira is doing things, you know? People improve, but so do the other people. So do their opponents. Um, you know, I just, I can't imagine that Silva's going to be so significantly better at grappling here. After we haven't really seen him do it. We saw him do it a few times on the regional scene and then finish with a ground and pound. But I don't know. I don't see it here. Am I crazy? I don't know. Pereira, like, look. He's training with Glover, right? So it's not like he's going to become some submission masterpiece overnight. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he's going to become a grappling god. And I'm not saying he's going to get even one takedown. What I am saying is I think his takedown defense is going to be good enough to keep him on the feet. And if they stay on the feet, I I don't see how Silva can win this. Look, you, you want proof? Go look at the Jordan Wright fight, all right? We all went into that fight knowing that Silva would win. But a lot of us also understood that Silva could could be beat by Wright. Because Wright does get knockouts. Wright is not... You know, Wright kind of sucks. But he he hits hard. And he's he's pretty technical in that first round, in those first few minutes. And he, he hurt Silva, alright? If, if Silva gives Pereira those same one and a half minutes, two minutes, with no grappling, no pressure, I think he's going to be in really, really, really big trouble. Um, I did go into this fight wanting to bet Silva. Um, I Even now, I see what people are saying in terms of hoping that he's going to wrestle. I just don't see evidence that he is going to be able to. I mean, it's like, look at Izzy. You know, he gets taken down every fight, but every fight... He looks incrementally better at wrestling at wrestling defense. You know what I mean? Look at his first fight in the UFC and look at him now. He's he's still getting taken down, but he pops right back up. He's still getting taken down, but less. Um, I, I don't have any reason to think that Pereira is going to be way behind that inc- that curve of improving. And already he has been, you know? Like, since that loss, he hasn't lost since. He hasn't fought anyone good. And he did out- get outgrappled by Mikalita. So, I mean, I'm bringing all these things up because I'm sa- I'm trying to say, I guess, that Pereira's not a lock. I'll never call anybody a lock, but Pereira's a tough bet to make. Um, 
I think he wins. I do. I, I really do think he wins. But there's still a lot to see, you know. His striking's so good. Like, watch his kickboxing bouts. Mikulidis, there, there was very little to see. His fight before that, he put a guy to sleep so hard that the guy was still sleeping when they came back from commercial break. It's fucking crazy. But, yeah, so... I got Pereira. I mean, I don't think it's an especially hard fight to break down. It, <coughs> I apologize. <coughs> it really just comes down to, like, if, is he going to get taken down enough? And I, I, I think he'll get taken down. But I don't think he'll get taken down enough. All right. So here we got Drew Dober versus Terrence McKinney. McKinney coming in on short notice. He literally fought last week against Farazim. Um Not at 270. Was it? No. No, 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 no. It wasn't at 272. I feel like all these weeks have been blending in for me. I don't know about you guys, but it's been such a whirl. Yeah, this was still in February. That was the Makachev Green. No, that wasn't the last week. It was the week before. Um, yeah, so McKinney literally fought a week before this week. I mean, before last week. So very short notice. But I guess it's not like they pulled him off the couch, right? He just fought, so he had a camp. Um, but anyways, we got Drew Dober, 23-11-0, 33-years-old, 5'8", 70-inch reach, and he's another one of those people fighting out of Elevation Fight Team along with J.J. Altrich and um, Maverick from this uh, card. You know, that means, you know, he's a 155-er. That means he's probably tra training with Justin Gaethje and stuff. He's getting good looks, and it, it's good. And then you look at Terrence McKinney. You got 12-3-0. and 27 years old, 5'10", 74-inch reach, Warrior Camp MMA, good camp, Michael Chisa's over there, Juliana Pena's over there, you know, they got a good camp going over there in Spokane, Washington, uh, it's very cool what they got going, and, alright, so breaking down this fight, right, it, it's weird, it's weird, because when the odds came out, I saw people hammering Dober, they're like, oh, this is crazy, hammer, and then... Everyone went on McKinney. Everyone. And now you see the odds go down like crazy, right? So it's it's still going, right? On Bet Online, it opened at plus 130. And then literally that same day, it was plus 205. And that held until two days later, right? And since then, it's been going down, 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 down. Um, I actually I got McKinney at plus 198. But we're going to talk about that later. Um which is also going to include me telling you guys that these odds, I don't know. But, all right. So, in terms of McKinney first, right? First of all, I want to say this, all right? I need to get this out of the way. I hit up McKinney, like, months ago. Months ago. It was right after his first fight against Favola. And after his fight with ZM got canceled the first time. And I hit him up and I was like, yo, man, I'm a huge fan. Um, if I... If I send you a t-shirt from me like a ufc t-shirt can you sign it and just send it right back and he's like yeah just found me 40 bucks for the shipping and shouldn't send me the shirt and i was like bet okay i did it 
And then, you know, time went on, time went on, time went on, never happened, this, 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 and that, you know. I'm not going to say excuses because I don't call it excuses. I think that Terrence wasn't lying to me. Um, I think that it's hard to be a fighter, especially with a canceled fight. And that means a very low income if you're, or no income if you don't have another job and you, you just fight. And it's not even your fault. So, you know, I can never blame him. I, can ne I, never, I never felt any anger towards him. It was just kind of like, am I going to get the shirt or not? <laughs> you know, it was never like, fuck you, like whatever. And then... He told me it would happen after his fight with ZM. Fight happens, he wins. Hit him up. You know, good shit. Thank you for mentioning Ukraine. I'm Ukrainian. Blah blah blah. And then he's like, "Yo, like I can't, I can't send you the shirt. <laughs> I'm gonna just give you the money back and then just buy one from my store." And I was just like, "You know, I understood. I understand. It's just kind of like I'm such a big fan, like." Why wouldn't you try after saying yes, you know? It would have been one thing if you already said no. And as a fan, I'd be like, all right, he's busy, he can't. But you tell me you can, and as a fan, I'm like, fuck yes. And then you're like, never mind. It's like, <sighs> shaky, you know? At least it's enough that I am not buying <laughs> his merch, I'll say that. I wanted to buy the Winning Hurts shirt. He's got a mad funny shirt with him after he uh, broke whatever the fuck he did to his leg or knee when he beat Favola and hurt himself. I thought it was mad funny, but they really need some graphic design work. <laughs> no shade, though. Um, I love McKinney. I'm a huge fan. I bet on him last time and now, and I'm going to tell you guys about it, but I just wanted to blow that out of here. Um, I've been so upset about it. <laughs> Anyways, especially now that he's so good, that shit could have been worth something. <laughs> Anyways... Um, Alright, so Dober, I get why people are high on him, right? So, Elevation fight team, sick. Last three fights, also, you look at it, knocked out Hernandez, good. Lost to Islam, that's okay. And he lost the decision to uh, Brad Riddell, which is, you know, it's it's okay. Like, it's like, alright, you're clearly not elite elite, because you didn't beat another elite fighter, but they're elite. Riddell is elite, and it was, it's not like Riddell bopped him, you know? Dober beat him in round one easily hurt him big time almost finished him round two was a little bit closer round three was Riddell um yeah I mean Dober I get it I I one million percent get it why people were hot were hammering him at the start of the line <clears throat> and if someone's hammering him here at minus 164 wow minus 160 yeah if you got him at minus 164 and you like Dober, like, that's a good price. That's a good price. Um, but I don't like, I mean, it's not that I don't like Dober here. It's that I, at plus 198, I liked McKinney. Now that that line is gone, I don't know if I like it at all for anybody, but I'll try to break it down technically real quick. So Dober, cardio wise, slows down, all right? Control time for 8%, control time against 10%, cage time in the UFC. Two hours and 26 minutes to McKinney's two minutes and eight seconds, all right? So the experience advantage isn't even comparable. Even if you include McKinney's entire career in his professional career and his one-fight amateur career, it doesn't add up to those numbers. It doesn't. McKinney's a finisher in the first round and usually under a minute. So he has does not have a lot of cage time. Um... Dober has 17 out of 34 fights in the UFC, so exactly half. 
He's 9-7-0-1 in the UFC, that one being a no contest. He's got good hooks, good combos, good power left. Nice left hook, uh, really accurate in his last fight with um, Brad Riddell. I really liked how he was landing his shots. And he got, a, like I said before, good one too. Uh, he's got a good takedown that he actually scored against Riddell himself, even though that's not really his game. Um, I'm going to pull these numbers up real quick so we can look at them together. Yeah, so, you know, he took Riddell one, down once, and then he hasn't done so since 2018 against John Tuck. Um, takedown defense-wise, you know, it says 55%, but this is where I'm kind of also happy with McKinney, because hear me out. Um, yeah, so Brad Riddell, not a wrestler. He's a kickboxer. He took he took Dober down five times. Makachev, we're not going to talk about that. He's Makachev. Hernandez took him took Dober down three times. Hernandez isn't an elite wrestler. Benio Darius two takedowns. You know that's that's acceptable. Um, three takedowns from Frank Camacho. That is not acceptable. Um, two takedowns from Scott Holtzman in 2016. You know we can forget about it. And the further we go down, the less relevant it is. But you know, Dober has shown a lot of improvements. He looks good. He strikes very well. He's got good takedown defense-ish. Um, he doesn't give up a tremendous amount of control time, but it, he does give up more than he gets by 2%. And he has four submission wins, five sub-losses. Apparently a BJJ purple belt, but we haven't really seen that much because I don't think he's gotten a sim single sub-win in the UFC. Just one against Jamie Varner in 2014, right? So, um, and then real quick, I, this is—it's uh, like in my head. I need to see it. Terrence McKinney by sub. I really need to know. McKinney, McKinney, McKinney. McKinney by ah, nah. You know, it's gone. <laughs> that that sense of surprise is gone. That we got last uh, two weeks ago with um, Ferrazium. I know a lot of us, a lot of us hit that line. I, uh, I got plus 900 for a McKinney sub in his last fight, which was so good, so good. Um, am I going to play 450? Uh, I don't think so. Especially since I already got McKinney at almost a 2-1 to one dog, you know? Um, McKinney himself, so cardio... <sighs> We haven't really seen it tested. <laughs> you know, not in the UFC because Frivolo was seven seconds. Zium was two minutes. Um, and then before that, you know, it hasn't really been tested. The one time we saw a kind of tweak was against um, Sean Woodson in his contender series bout where round one, he outgrappled Woodson easily, kept his back almost the entire time. And then round two, round two he tired out and got hit with a flying knee. Damn, now, now I want to hit that plus 450 McKinney sub. I mean, plus 400. Ah! Okay. I'm going to write myself a post-it. <laughs> I know I just told you guys that's not as good as a plus 900, but I am so tempted. I need to go look, look back at uh, Dober's subs. Sub-losses. Pulling them up real quick. I'm pretty sure he's only lost by sub to good guys. Um, Makachev subbed him. Darius subbed him. 
Um, Oliver Oven Mercier subbed him. Efrain Escardero subbed him. And those are the only four. Those are all decent losses to sub. Um, I'm not going to lie. I don't really know Efrain Escudero. I know him slightly. I've seen some fights. But I don't know him that well. So I'm not sure how uh, amazing of a grappler he is to like understand what that means. But yeah, I think that Dober is difficult to submit unless you're somebody elite elite. Thing is, I think that people are underestimating McKinney because this happens when we have hype trains. I'm one of those people I hate hype trains and I'll take every opportunity to uh, fade them. The thing is, I don't know if this is a hype train. First of all, McKinney can strike. He's got, he doesn't throw winging hooks. He throws straight punches and those straight punches hit like a winging hook. That's your danger. When you literally are getting hit as hard by a technical guy as you would by a guy who's just swinging full madness. On top of that, he's extremely fast. And then on top of that, you know, those five sub wins, one sub loss, there's a reason. Why? What's that reason? His grappling is so good. Look at the fight with Farazim, all right? What he did was so clean. I wish I could, like, show you guys, like, the video and, like, walk you through with, like, a kind of thing like DC does. Like, <laughs> maybe if I could figure out that one day, I'm definitely going to do that if I could. But, look, what he did to Zium, that's not an easy thing. He didn't do that because Zium's a kickboxer. He did that because he's very talented. He took him down, and the way he passed guard was so clean to the point where you can see every move as an observer, you know? There was no sloppiness. There was no confusion. As an observer, you could see every little movement that McKinney was making to get his position. And it was just so fucking clean, man. It was so clean. So for me, it's like you got the experience and the talent of Drew Dober, like the proven talent of Drew Dober, for somebody who's less proven but who's shown such, such talent in McKinney. Um, like I said before... Look, these odds are rough. They're they're rough for some for for the situ, given situation. Dober deserves to be the favorite, and I think I would have lined lined him where he opened at, at around like minus two hundred, minus two twenty. You know, um, oh, he opened even lower. He op- depending on the book on Bet Online, he opened minus one fifty. But yeah, I don't know. At these odds, I like McKinney. That's the money. That's a bet I have money on. I have McKinney in, uh, yeah, I just have McKinney money line. I got him plus uh, 198, and that's my pick. Alrighty, how many we got left? One, two, three, four. All right, real quick bathroom break again, and we'll be back. Let's do this.
and break this time. I honestly cannot believe how long it's been. Wow. <laughs> it's been a long stream. All right. Good thing we didn't go live for this one, huh? You guys will be sleeping by now. All right. We got, for this next fight, I just want to say, <laughs> if you guys deal with my tweak shit, thank you. I, I got to be one of the tweakiest handicappers in the space. But anyways, we got Halil Roundtree versus Carl Roberson. Halil is 9-5-0. Oh, he's 32 years old. Um, six foot one, seventy. This is incorrect. It's actually a 76 inch reach. And he 1 million percent does not fight at one to fight team. Um, he's a syndicate. He's at syndicate MMA. It's a good camp over there with John Wood. So it's a good camp. And on the other side, you got Roberson, um, 9-4-0, no, 31 years old, six foot one, 74 inch reach. That's correct. And he's not training at a killer B either. He is training out of um, Nicotone. Over, and he's. it appears like he's been training a lot with Corey Anderson. I mean, they got so many pictures together. <clears throat> you know, this is a weird one. And, and one I wasn't entirely hyped to put my money on. But what it kind of reminds me of is William Knight versus Alonzo Menefield, where it was like, this is a striker's delight. And it's going to come down to who goes down first. And it, went, it ended up going down to who can coming down to who can actually get the decision, which was Buckley there. Um, you know, if you ask me this question here, it's probably Roberson, you know? So, and I'm going to explain why, but I, the, I'm also going to tell you why I'm worried. So first of all, one thing I'd like to note, control time, all right? Round tree, control time for 1%. Control time against 10%. So he's getting control 10 to 1. To, 10 to 1. All right. Now, on the other side, Roberson, 11% control time for 15% against. You know, it's not much better, but then you look at their numbers. I mean, at their opponents who are doing those numbers, right? There's a reason we can't just look at stats and who, who. We have to, we got to compare things. So, and that's just MMA math. I'm, I mean, like, really compare things. So... Roberson, Brandon Allen took him down uh, and controlled them, what, three minutes. Marvin Vittori took him down, controlled him for two minutes. Um, Kopolov, he beat, and I, nobody really got control time. Uh, Terman, you know, Terman got seven minutes control time against him, so that's not as good as what I was reading to you guys before. But then, you know, his other one is Glover Teixeira. So... He's really only giving up crazy control time to really good grapplers. You know, Cesar Ferreira, again, 420 he got. He's only giving up to really good grapplers, and Halil Roundtree is not that. So we're not going to see any, in my opinion, we're not going to see Halil um, out-controlling Robertson. If anything, I expect Robertson to get those minutes himself. The one thing with Robertson is he's going up in weight. But as I just read to you guys, you know, he fought Glover. He's fought at 205 before. It's not his weight, but he's fought there. Um, you know, striking-wise, so I, I... Well, before we get there, um, Cage time in the UFC is about even. One hour, four minutes for Oberson. One hour, 23 for Halil, you know. So the experience is there. Both of them have close to the same amount of fights in the UFC. Nine for Oberson out of 13. Roundtree, 11 to 14. 
Uh, UFC records are super similar. 5-4-0 for Roberson. 5-5-0-1 for Leo Roundtree. That 0-1 is uh, no contest that he technically lost. Um, here's what I think with Halil is if you watch just his first like two minutes of his fight against Modestus, you're like, whoa. You know? He looked good. He looked strong, fast, powerful, um, technical. He was hitting the body. He was hitting the face. He was co- doing great combinations, fainting. He looked so good. And then two minutes pass, and <laughs> he's, just, he's just not the same guy. He's not. Um, he ended up still beating Bokoskis out of strength because you watch that fight, and his strength is what got Bokoskis. I thought Bokoskis would win, and I still think he's the more technical guy. But that strength is such an equalizer. You watch that first round, and I'm not sure I've ever watched a UFC fight where one of the fighters genuinely looked like they were very scared. And you watch the round one after Modestus' nose gets twisted. His face when in their exchanges is like this. <laughs> like, I'm not lying. Go look yourself. Like, he's literally, sh- like, shook. And, I mean, look at the strikes. I understand why. Uh, in, in round two, I was like, I was dying of laughter when John Anik pointed out that uh, Modestus's leg was bleeding. <laughs> it was bleeding from leg kicks and oblique kicks. His leg was bleeding. Tell me one more fight, one other fight where a fighter's leg started bleeding from leg kicks. Like, that shit's crazy. Uh, it just shows you the power he's got. And he finished the fight with an oblique kick to Modestus's knee. So. That's where my lack of confidence in Roberson comes in. Because of this fuck you power that round three carries, that even carries into the in round two. And we've seen it go into round three with Eric Anders. You know, round three slows down. We saw him slow down to Prakniau. But, you know, he, he can do it. He can keep it up. On the other side, you got Roberson. I love his striking. I love it. Really good hooks. Really good one-two. Very good speed, very fast strikes, very fast kicks. You know, everything he does is so fast, so clean, so technical. Um, three submission wins himself. Uh, he does a very good job cutting the cage. They say he's a kickboxing background, but if you look at it really, um, he boxed, he kickboxed at Glory MMA, lost to Jacoby, Dustin Jacoby. We saw him fight last week. You know, he wasn't some elite Alex Pereira. Um, Israel Adesanya. He wasn't. He was just a kickboxer. So I'm not sure how much that background really matters. But I ended up putting one unit on Roberson. And my logic was that I just think he's going to be the minute winner here. I think that in terms of striking technicality, he's better. I think that in terms of speed, he's better. I think that in terms of grappling, he is better. Even against Wellington Terman, Terman took him down and Roberson could, uh, reversed it and got on top and ground pounded. You know, I think that Roberson will have the overall advantage of just being a better, well-rounded fighter. But that equalizer, man, of Halil, Roberson's got to watch his p's and q's every single second of that fight, and that's why it's like it's it's hard to bet either side. I took just one unit on Roberson, and I don't, I'm not extending any further than that. But 
I'm like I'm curious about Roberson wins by decision. It's eh, plus two eighty, plus three hundred. You know, three to one odds for. I don't know. Like if I had to pick a method of victory for Roberson, I'd probably pick uh, decision. But it's a, it's a hard choice to make. I mean, it helps Roberson that he's never been KO'd ever. Um, it's just I don't know if he's ever fought somebody like Leo in terms of straight power. Going back to his record real quick. You know, like even Vittori, like, does Vittori have the power of uh, Halil? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he's fought anyone at all, even close to Halil's power. No, not that I'm seeing. Maybe Brian Spann, you know, who he beat. But that was in 2017, and that was on the Contender Series, so take that as you may. <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, Robertson is a pick. I got him at one unit. And the odds I got him at, I don't remember. I'm going to pull it for you guys. Uno momento. Fuck, I lost the page I was using. Pulling it back up real quick. Bear with me. My dear couch warriors. I'm just trying to make sure I have everything up for you guys. These last two, last three fights are very funky to tape. And I'm very hyped to talk them over with you guys. So, alright. So, here we got Alex Caceres versus Sadiq Youssef. Alex Caceres, 19, 12, and 0. Currently on a five-win streak, which is great for him. But we're going to talk about those opponents because that's going to matter. Speaking of which, let me pull that up. In preparation. Alright. So, back to the tail of the tape. So, Caceres is 33 years old, 5'10", 73.5 inch reach, training out of MMA Lab. Uh, Sadiq Youssef is 11-2-0. Um... I believe only one of those is a UFC loss to Arnold Allen, who's a beast. 20 years old, I mean 28 years old, 5'9", giving up 1 inch in height, 71 inch reach, giving up 2 inch, two and a half inches in reach. And he's fighting out of Team Lloyd Irvin. Uh, we spoke about that camp earlier with Tafana Chukwi. So, alright, so the first thing we need to do is we gotta look at Caceres and understand what this streak means, right? So... First, we watched the Sung Woo Choi fight, and I had money on Sung Woo Choi, and I thought he was going to roll here. And in round one, it looked like he was going to roll. Alex Caceres was Alex Caceres. Bouncy, back and forth, very little punches. Everything's a kick. Kick, 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 very few punches, kind of like Guido Canetti. Um, meanwhile, Choi was doing Choi things, and he's not some crazy killer, but he's very good. And he knocked down Caceres in round one, which was really fire. And then he didn't end up finishing. Caceres started picking up the pace in the end of round one. And end of round two, I mean beginning of round two, it started kind of changing tides. And eventually Caceres was able to land a near-air naked choke. Before that, that's in my opinion his best recent win. And I don't think that's a debatable opinion really. I mean, I know opinions are opinions. 
But there's a certain point where facts are like, this opinion is correct. So, you know, in his last five. Sung Woo Choi, good. Kevin Kroom. Austin Springer. Mm. Chase Hooper. We all know where Chase Hooper's at, you know? He's he's a good grappler, and he sucks everywhere else. Um, did Chase, Chase Hooper far recently? No, he didn't. Okay. Um, and then Steven Peterson, you know? Steven Peterson, some people felt he won that fight. But that was his last win. And then he lost to Cron Gracie, and then before that he beat Martin Bravo. Uh, Rolando Dai, you know, people who are no longer in the UFC. <clears throat> and how is he winning these fights, right? That's another thing I want to look at is... So you Saris, he's winning. He got one rear naked. He beat Kroon by decision. Rear naked again. Springer. Springer's not good. Chase Super decision. Peterson decision. You know... He's getting a lot of decisions. He's not really finishing much. Definitely not by KO. Has he ever gotten a UFC KO? Nope. No, one time. Against Rolando Dai. Otherwise, he's never gotten a KO. And, you know, the strength of competition is just so, so weak. And, and you know, you, you look at the technique for technique, right? For for Alex Caceres. The striking's not there. It... it, it it, it's really not there. Um, he's primarily just kicking. Um, he's very fast. His striking, you know, he he wings. He wings a lot. Like I like I've mentioned before, and I, I hate winging punchers because they leave themselves open, which ends up being surprising because his striking defense is sixty-five and a half. His Caceres is. Um, what I'm thinking there is it's because he's fighting pretty shitty guys, especially like Austin Springer. Um, somebody who can't sh who can't hit fucking water if they fall out a boat. Shout out to Wheezy for the reference. Um, in regards, I, I'm talking about uh, what's his fucking face. Um, fuck, I forget. Hooper, Hooper can't f hit fucking water. Um, yeah, so I just I, I just oh wow. I should pull up the wrong window. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like so many people are feeling Caceres. You know, he's he's a dog. I'm not saying like people are like ah, he's value. Not no one's doing that. Um, he's the dog. I just I don't know. The thing's going for him. Three hours thirty nine minutes in the cage. Uh, Yusuf has only had fifty one. Thirteen pro fights for Yusuf. Thirty one for Caceres. Um, Caceres has more fights in the UFC than Yusuf does have pro. Yusuf has 13 fights pro. Caceres has 18 UFC fights. Uh, Caceres' UFC record, 11-7-0, which honestly isn't the worst thing ever if you look at his losses. Um, five sub wins, five sub losses. I don't know how much that will be relevant here. few impress good things to think about. Caceres is, first of all, his last grappling match. Uh, if you guys watched that Fury FC grappling thing, it, it was very cool. And he fought. He grappled Eddie Torres, who's apparently a better grappler and who was favorited. I don't know anything about BJJ. I don't know about anything in regards to the BJJ scene, so I don't actually know what an accomplishment it was for him to beat him. Unlike <laughs> Sean Brady beating Craig Jones, even without the leg locks, like that was impressive. This, you know, it, it was impressive. I just, I don't think I can quantify it because I don't know. But 
one more thing I want to say about Caceres is his training at MMA Lab. MMA Lab is a great camp. It's really good. And not only is it a great camp, it's all he, he's at Bantamweight. Who's at Bantamweight at MMA Lab? Casey Kenny, Kyler Phillips, and uh, Sean O'Malley. So those are the people that Caceres is getting looks from. Casey Kenny, Kyler Phillips, and Sean O'Malley. You know, he's training with really, really talented uh, Bantamweights. And, like, all three of those are probably going to be ranked in the future. You know, all three. So those are the guys he's training with. And that's good. But now going to Sadiq a little bit. Control time for 9%. Control time against 8%. So he's not exactly getting controlled too much compared to what he's getting. Uh, 6 of 13 fights in the UFC. 5-1-0 in the UFC. Uh, one thing to add on is he does have 7 amateur fights. So if you actually add that to his 13, he technically has 20 fights to Caceres' 31. <laughs> Yusuf has really clean boxing. You know, I saw some people saying stuff about him, like, not being as good as we think. Maybe it's because I always mix him up with Hakeem Dewadu, but I think he's I think he's good. Like, I think his boxing's good. He's not some grappler. He's not some well-rounded guy. He's only got two sub wins, both in his amateur career. Uh, he does have a 68% takedown defense. You know, he fought a guy with Andre Feely, Arnold Allen, and he's still got a 68% takedown defense, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, the the one thing is he's just kind of one-dimensional in regards to the boxing, but he does have the defense to not get submitted, to not get taken down. Um, you know, no sub-losses. That, that's pretty impressive. He's fought in the UFC six times. Who's he fought? He's fought Andre Feely, you know, not the biggest sub guy. Gabriel Benitez, you know, Benitez could also get subs, but he got KO'd in the first round. Shaman Marias, who we saw in PFL, who's not bad, actually. Uh, he cooked him, but didn't get nothing with a sub. You know, he hasn't really gotten much sub attempts taken against him. This Mike Davis win. You know, I, I missed this, the 2018 fight. I kind of want to watch that because we all know Mike Davis is damn good that's interesting but anyways <clears throat> my breakdown is pretty simple this looks like a striker versus grappler kind of situation uh caceres isn't going to be able to strike with yusuf i don't think um even with that sh length what is he going to do kick i'm just going to kick it's not going to be enough i don't think um it's just like if I had to compare this to something like Caceres, is Caceres anything like Arnold Allen in terms of his strength, pressure, anything striking? No. If I had to compare him to someone recently against Sadiq Yusuf, I'd probably say Andre Feely. But I'd bet Andre Feely to beat Alex Caceres also. So I think what it's going to look like is Caceres is going to put a ton of pressure on Yusuf trying to do what he does. And... I think Yusuf's going to be able to handle it. I think he's going to be able to outstrike him. And I think he's going to be able to win this fight. I have a sneaking suspicion we go to a decision. And I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm going to peep it real quick with you guys. So, fight doesn't go. Plus 115. And fight goes is minus. So, people are kind of feeling what I'm feeling. I guess it makes sense because it's like, all right. If you're going to bet the, un the doesn't go the distance, right? Who's going to be able to finish the fight? 
Caceres, what is he going to do? Sub Yusuf, who's never been subbed. He's not going to KO him. And is Yusuf going to KO Caceres? I don't think so. How many times has Caceres been KO'd in his career? Literally only one time in the UFC and against Francisco Rivera Jr. in round one in 20 seconds. So that's like a flash KO that you can't even take serious. Otherwise, the man has never been KO'd. Alright? Not just in the UFC, he's just never been KO'd, period. So, I do think this is going to be a greasy, greasy fight. Um, maybe a little similar to Elliot uh, Uwanbekov. Just hopefully without uh, with less cheating. But, yeah, I like Yusuf. I think Yusuf wins. Um, I have him at minus 220 for 2.2 units. I have him with Magomed Ankela for a quarter unit parlayed. And that's it for now. I don't know what else I'm going to do with him. The two lines, is that, three lines that I told you guys earlier I'm watching is Nichukwi. I literally have alerts on Kamuel Kirk because if he goes underdog, I'm putting two units. And... You, uh, Semmelsberger is a third. So, Semmelsberger, when I wrote this, was minus 240, and that was like a day ago. And now, Matthew Semmelsberger is minus 220. So, I really hope I can get Semmelsberger minus 200 or less, because, in my opinion, that's a fucking steal. I know some people are like, these odds are too wide, but are they really? You know? Fletcher's so small. Who is he really KO'd? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Alrighty. Next, we've got Marlon Marias versus Yadong Song. Marlon Marias is 23, 9, and 1, 33 years old, 5 foot 6, 66 and a half inch reach, and he is not training at the armory. Um, he's actually a Tiger Moore type. So we may have another mystical fighter amongst our midst. We don't know yet, so we're going to find out soon. And on the other side, we got Yadong Song, 18, 6, and 1. He's 24 years old. I'm going to tell you guys why that's fucking crazy. He's 5'8", so he's got a 2-inch reach advantage. And he's 67-inch reach, so he's got a half-inch reach advantage. And he's training out of alpha male. <clears throat> now, the reason I say that uh, Yadong Song's uh, t being 24 years is crazy is because he fought in 2013, which would make him 13 years old. So... Or like 14. I believe it's 13 though if I did my math correctly. Which is like fucking crazy. When I was 13 I was just learning how to jerk off. So I definitely didn't learn how to fight at that age. So that's awesome. He's got a ton of experience for such a young guy. You know it's smart. Like if you really know at that age that's what you want to do. You know now you're 24 years old. You're 18, 6, and 1. Like you've only got up to go. So good for him. That age thing is very good. Now... How do I break this down? You know, cage time in the UFC, surprisingly similar. Marais, who's been there longer, has only had one hour and 24 minutes in the cage. And Yudong Song has had one hour and 37 minutes in the cage. Um, uh, Song Yudong's had nine fights in the UFC out of his uh, 24. And Marais has had 10 in the UFC out of his 25. I uh, had 35. So, you know, Song's got a better uh, percentage. Marias has probably had the better competition. Not probably. Certainly has the better competition. 
This is rough. All right. I'm trying to decide how I want to do this. Okay. So, first off, UFC record, something to note. Song looks so much better, you know. 7-1-1. One, one, one draw with Cody Stamen. Uh, Marais is 5-5-0. Five, five no. Three of those L's have been in his last three, but... Um, all right. So, starting from his fights, right? We're going to go over Mar- Marlon Marais' fights. <laughs> All right, his last three. Marab Devashvili. He almost finished Marab in round one. He did. I know people say he's round one or bust, and I don't have any evidence to prove prove otherwise because he has not KO'd in the UFC outside of round one. But I will say that I do think he does have more gas in round one, at least with his training right now. And another thing I'd like to point out is if you look at people's corner when they're in the corner, right? Sometimes you'll see somebody standing rather than sitting on a stool. In my mind, that's one of the best. That's a huge indicator of good cardio and not just good cardio, but good coaching and good IQ. Because somebody who who's doing that, they know that sitting is only going to cramp up your legs. It's going to put the blood pressure towards your legs. And it's not going to help you unless you're really, really, really exhausted. And even then, sitting isn't really going to help you breathe. Think about the way you're sitting. If you're standing, it is easier to breathe, and you can inhale, exhale normally. It's much harder when you're sitting down. Um, Marlon Marais stands in between rounds. If you watch his fights, you can. We hear nonstop shit about his cardio, right? Like his cardio is crap. His chin is crap. His cardio is crap. His cardio is crap. His chin is crap, but I don't have evidence that it. I mean, his cardio is crap, but I don't have evidence that his. No, opposite. I have evidence that his chin is crap, but not that his cardio is crap. You know? Um, I don't... I'm just... I feel like I... I don't know. I'm on an island. I'm Not I don't know. I'm definitely on an island here. So, you know, like I said, Mar- Marlon Marais against Marav almost knocked him out. And it was... Some refs would have called it. And I think these odds would have been very, 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 very different had that happened. Because... Line Song Yudong Murab. What's it going to be? Pick him? So, that's my MMA math for you guys. My MMA algebra. Before that, Rob Font, right? Watch it first before you make an opinion. Because the first few minutes, you know, Murab took him down really nice. It's the first round. He did slow down. Proving everything everybody's saying is right. But his wrestling looked really, really good. Um... Corey Sanhagen, again, you know, you look at just the numbers, you're like, Sanhagen bitched him and then finished him with a spinning kick. But that's not the whole story. He did land. He did look pretty, he did look okay. And then Jose Aldo, um, I'm a firm believer Aldo won that fight. That's why Dana gave the fight to Aldo against Peter Yan and not Marias. But Even to get close enough where you're getting a split decision from the judges against Jose Aldo, like that's an accomplishment. So, I mean, again, I'm not doing MMA math here, but in in, in general, Marais has got really good kicks, especially a leg kick. He's got a great one-two, good jab, great hook. He robbed, he rocked Marav, I counted, I think four or five times. Uh, dropped him once or twice. I know the numbers only show once, but I think it was twice. His grappling is really good when he uses it. His defensive grappling, I know we're seeing 
very low numbers, 46%. But you got to understand, that's Marab and Henry Cejudo in his numbers over there. You understand? Like, before then, he's not really getting taken down other than uh, John Dodson. Um, three sub wins, one sub loss for Marias. Um, Song's got two sub wins, no sub losses. Uh, Marias is a BJ black belt. And... Yeah, I mean, you you can't fix a bad chin. That's the one issue with Marias. No matter what camp you go to, no matter what you do, no matter what you prepare for, unless you've been cutting too much weight your entire life and now you stopped, it's very difficult to fix your chin. Because a chin is a chin. Now let's look at Yadong, right? So, in my opinion, Yadong's a bit meat, meat and potatoes. I think he's pretty basic. Um, that said, he's a very high level of basic because, you know, he's winning and he's winning against good guys. Um, some of them, in my opinion, shouldn't have gone the way they went. I thought Marlon Vera beat him. Um, I thought Casey Kenny beat him. Uh, I don't know if I'm on an island there. I haven't really looked it up, but I watched the fight again today and I still thought Casey Kenny beat him. And then he knocked out Julio, Julio Arce in round two. You know... His striking's good, but like I said, it's just meat and potatoes. Like, what are we looking at him and we're like, that's it. I, I'm not seeing it, you know? Um, very fast, very clean counters, good one-two, good right hand, good punch-kick combinations. He almost finished uh, Julio Arce in round one with that. I love that shit. When they throw a punch and then before you can even react, a kick is hitting you in the head. That shit's perfect. Um... <laughs> Fun fact, Songs had two fights that ended in disqualification for uh, groin kicks. <laughs> That's not relevant even a little, but I just wanted to bring it up. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, what do I actually expect to happen? Song Yudong probably wins by decision. But I'm not I'm not confident enough to make any of those picks. I'm not confident enough to play any props on Yudong. And I'm certainly not confident enough to play a money line. You know, maybe I'm missing something, but in my opinion, somebody like Marias, who's not just giving up, but going, a, you know, look, all right, where's Marias been? I just want to look at this with you guys. So, you know, he, he, he's fighting out of Florida, all right? So, like, You know, now I fucking forgot my point. I actually don't remember what I was trying to say to you guys. Damn. Okay, we're going to ignore that in case, just like it never happened. Because I do not remember. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, yeah, my pick is, uh, I don't know. Who do I think is probably going to win? Maybe. You don't. Um, who do I want to put money on? Nobody. Who did I end up putting money on? Uh, here's what I did. I did a quarter unit on Marlon Marias at plus 220. I did that just recently at Bet at uh, BetMGM. The line should still be up. Uh, so I, if, if you like him, I'd say go. Go now. Um, my other bet on Marias, which I think is the better one and I think that is more worth taking, is Marias inside the distance, decision, no action. Because realistically, Marias slows down. Realistically, Marias can lose seconds. Realistically, Yadong Song is good at winning seconds. Um, 
I think that if we go to the decision, it's more likely than not that Yidong Song is going to win. Because of that, I'm, I, I want to take a shot at that decision, no action. Because Marais has a glass chin, but who did not? Who knocked him out, alright? Marab Devashvili, did he knock him out on his feet? No. He was holding his arm down, elbowing him in the fucking face. And eventually put his hand here and kept striking, alright? That wasn't standing, and that's not something I see Song Yidong doing. Um, before that, Rob Font knocked him out. I'm sorry, Yudong Song is not Rob Font. He's not as good of a striker. Um, Marlon Marais got knocked out by Corey Sagan, Sanhagen. I'm sorry, but Corey Sanhagen is... I mean, Yudong Song is not as good of a striker as Corey Sanhagen. Um, he didn't get knocked out by fucking Jose Aldo. We look back at Jose Aldo now, and it's like... You know, that... that even if it was a robbery, like, that win still means something. The numbers are close. He did close. It was a close fight. <clears throat> I guess what it comes down to is I'm just not ready to get rid of Marlon Marais and be like, you're never going to win again. I'm willing to, you know, try this one last time. It's a total of .75 units. So, not a tremendous risk, but something that I would like to see how it plays out and... I have a sneaking suspicion on Marais. And we are on our main event of the evening. My brother texted me. We've been talking about this UFC 273 card. We both want to go so fucking bad. I would literally do anything to see Hamza fight live, but I don't know if anything means paying like 300 bucks for... Uh, bleachers ticket because that's what i paid for mgm and i just feel weird paying that for fucking florida jacksonville florida um doesn't seem right but all right regardless getting ready real quick <laughs> we're now over two and a half hours in i am so sorry for how long this has taken and if anyone's still here fucking thank you i love you guys all right we got <clears throat> Thiago santos versus magomed ankalaev Thiago santos is 22 9-0 he's 38 years old red flag Six foot two, seventy-six inch reach, and it says he trains at a Tata gym. Tata fight team, but I actually didn't double check this, so we're gonna do it together. <clears throat> Excuse me. ATT. That's where he's at. Wow. Okay. That's good. That's really good. I'm going to start this with this, all right? I bet Uncle Live, I parlayed him before really doing my research well. And after I did my research, I'm still an Uncle Live, but man. I think if I waited, I would. <laughs> I think I would have played Diago Santos as the underdog. You know, <laughs> would that go well for me? Probably not, but. Look, all right. So on the other side, we got Uncle Live, 16 1 0. 29 years old, six foot three, 75 years old, 75 inch reach. Oh my god! Um, it says Goritz, but according to Instagram, he's at uh, Ahmad Fight Club. 
which I believe is a Chechnyan-based uh, group. So, you know, he's getting good looks there. His one loss is to Paul Craig by submission, which was like a last-second submission. So, you know, I don't think that Thiago Santos is going to sub him. One thing I'd consider is that Ankulaev did get outstruck by Nikita Krylov, who was able to threaten takedowns and grappling, which is something to consider. But, I don't know. I just feel like Santos is going to land. I feel like he will. Um, looking at their numbers, right? So, control time for Ankulaev, 15% for, 2% against. Control time for Santos, 4% for, 6% against. Um... So, you know, Ankalaev is doing much better in terms of control time than Santos. But again, Santos has been fighting at a really high level. So you kind of have to, like, even it out. Because look, let's look at, the, let's look at the, fighter, the fights, right? And Caleb, Uzdemir, high level. Krilov, medium level. Kutalaba, lower medium. Dalcha, lower level. Klitsen, bottom of the barrel. Marson, bottom of the bail. Paul Craig, middle of the barrel I would say you know so he hasn't really beaten anyone that good other than Uzumir. I would say Uzumir is very good and he beat him but even Uzumir, you know he's slow he's showing that he's no longer at the top top of this division Santos on the other hand you know he's fought Johnny Walker one of the most boring fights of all time that doesn't mean much I think on Caleb would beat Walker too uh the Rakic fight, you know, Rakic is good. I would love to see in Kale versus Rakic. It's not a disappointing loss for Santos. And he outshook Rakic. Uh, Glover Tixera, you know, that fight went as many of uh, Glover's fights go. Thiago rocked him twice, but Glover out-wrestled him at every turn and corner and eventually got that submission. And the fight with John Jones that I actually thought he won with his blasted-ass knee. Which is something to notice, note because I'm going to say this. Eric Ander, I'm, oh my lord, Thiago Santos before his knee surgery and Thiago Santos after his knee is like night and day. It's very different. He he's not what he used to be, which is very disappointing. But he's still good. He's still good, and I do think it's pretty disrespectful what he's at. I mean, geez Louise, you can see you can find Ankalaev as as high as minus 600 as low as minus 530 on bet river that's as low as you can get you know that's an implied probability of like i want to say like 86 87 percent i'm gonna i'm gonna check for you guys but Ugh, wrong one no it's not that one is it action network no it's not action network either what do i use Uh, yellow converter, not calculator. ASOS, that's what I use. All right, minus six hundred. That's an yeah. I was pretty on point. That's an eighty-five point seven percent implied probability for Ankylov to win. And <clears throat> look, if if you're a value boy, your your brain's screaming, nope, 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 nope. And your brain's right. I mean, value wise, if we're gonna talk expected value. Uh, EV, you know, actual numbers, data. Uh, I think that number is on Santos, but because of that knee, because of his recent um, 
stints uh, because of Magomed and Caleb's improvement, because of what he's been doing recently. It's hard to bet against Ankalaev, you know? One thing that uh, helped me decide was I watched the Glover fight, right? And Glover's a really good grappler. He's very strong. He's very powerful. But in terms of grappling, he bitched Santos. He bitched him. He took him down whenever he wanted, pretty much. And he controlled him really easy, especially in round one. Even when Santos ended up on top, Glover somehow would reverse it back. So, you know, he do- I think that he does have a low-key grappling uh, like hole. I think he has a grappling hole. And Uncle Ive can grapple, even though he's only he's shown mostly that he likes to strike. Um, he's a combat sambo, a master of sports. If you guys ever hear me speaking of master of sports in Russia, like I'm gonna speak very highly of it, and it's for a reason. A master of sports means that you've reached the highest level of your sport in terms of competition and winning. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of bouts that they had to fight in order to get this master of sports level. So. This guy on Goliath has had so many bouts in Combat Sambo. And if you look up Combat Sambo, it's pretty much MMA without an octagon. A uh, really fun one is Mirzakana versus Ayan Kutalaba. <laughs> they fought in Sambo. And it looks like a UFC fight without a cage. So, you know, he, he's got that experience. He's got a lot of experience. and On the feet, in the grappling situations, you know. In the UFC... Santos, three hours, 16 minutes to Uncle Ives, one hour, 18. You know, two-hour advantage, pretty much. He's got 71% of his fights in the UFC to Uncle Ives, eight, uh, 47. Eight to 22 fights. 22 fights in the UFC. Do you understand what that means? That's crazy. Um, one thing to note, Uncle Ives doesn't have any sub-wins, so it's not like this is a huge uh, weakness. But Diago Santos has three sub-losses, and one of those is to fucking Eric Spicely. If you don't know who Eric Spicely is, please do me a favor after this and go look. <laughs> and, and then tell me, like, what it feels to you, like, watching him choke out Diago Santos. So, yeah, I think Uncle Ive wins. I think Uncle Ive wins pretty easy. Not easy, but I think he wins well. I just, I don't agree with the odds at all. I don't think that the value is on Uncle Ive. That said, I've got him parlayed plenty, but I'd be careful. I'd be, you know, cautious. I'm not going past four units parlayed with Uncle I. That's as far as I'm going to go. I see people taking the inside the distance mark with Uncle I, which brings you down to about evens, even plus odds. It's just, I don't know. I really don't know if he's going to finish Santos. Santos is tough. He's tough. We can't just keep, like... Like, uh, disregarding these fighters just because they took a few tough L's, you know? Like, Diago Santos losing to Rakic and Glover Teixeira and John Jones is, like, extremely okay. It's alright because all three of those are elite light heavyweights. But he's fighting another elite light heavyweight, in my opinion. So I think that's where this is going to come in. I'm curious what happens for Uncle Live after this if he wins. You know, does he get Rakic? Who does he get? That'll be fun. But anyways, my pick is Ankalaev. Um Obviously not money line. But... Yeah, I do think Ankalaev wins. But now you see on my phone, that's because I want to read you guys out my picks. We've gotten to the end of the breakdowns. I cannot believe we're almost three hours in. I feel like this is going to get zero fucking views. 
Um, I guess I just really got ahead of myself here and really just went in. But what can you do? So going over our picks for this week, our plays for this week, right? I got that uh, 0.25 quarter unit on Marlon Marias money line plus 220. And then I got Sadiq Youssef minus 220, 2.2 units. I got Carl Roberson minus 122, one unit. Terrence McKinney plus 198, one unit. Uh, Alex Pereira minus 167, uh, 1.67 units. Uh, Julian Robertson. Not Julian Robertson. <clears throat> J.J. Aldrich, plus 122, two units. Javid Basharat, minus 143, one unit. And Cody Brundage, uh, plus 112, one unit. And then for my parlays, I have Maverick and Caleb Pereira and Basharat all parlayed with Ankylov on their own in two pairs for a quarter unit each. Almost all of those come out. No, half of those come out to... Uh, plus odds and I actually lied the Maverick parlay is one unit not .25 um, I also played Trevin Jones Javid Basharat doesn't go the distance minus 150 for one unit um, I played Moutinho round 3.1 Moutinho decision .25 I played Semmelsberger with Ankalev for one unit and Yusuf Ankalev one unit and then Morias scorecards no action half a unit uh, scorecards no action for anybody who's not sure what that means it means that if they if Marias wins inside the distance I win if Marab wins inside the distance I lose and no matter who wins if we get to the decision I get my money back so I do like that I think that Marias is going to come here and show that he's not done um I'm not saying he necessarily wins, but I think that he's going to show that his chin isn't as gone as people are saying. If he doesn't and he gets knocked out, you know, bye-bye Mar Marlon, that's it. Not like we're going to get another shot to bet on him, so maybe an Eagle FC if he loses. But that's it for this. Um, those are my picks. Those are my plays. Uh, not everything's fully updated. I do come up with picks throughout the week, so if you want updated shit on time and see what I'm saying... Please, please, please follow me on at Couch Warrior Pod. That's on Twitter and on YouTube. Obviously, you've already found me, Couch Warrior Podcast. And yeah, please subscribe, like, share, follow, whatever you'd like to do. I accept it all. And I want to talk about real quick what's coming this week. So in terms of the fantasy sports, like I do every week, I will be doing that tomorrow. Um... Not sure what time yet, but I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna be doing that tomorrow. And then there's so many fights this weekend, like PFL, Bellator, um, all this shit that I really want to get on top of. But it's, it's fucking hard, man. Like, you look in the life of a handicapper. What we do seems easy. We're just watching fights and making picks. Like that's mad easy, but it's very time consuming. And if this isn't your full-time gig, which I'm extremely jealous of anyone who has this as their full-time gig, it's not easy. And it takes it takes a lot of time, a lot of time. And unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to have the time for Bellator and all that. Um, I do have to worry about myself too and the other things I need to take care of. But worst case, if I don't get out like official vids or what, videos or whatever 
I'll try to get out some picks. I, I, I'll find it surprising if I don't end up betting Mads Burnell. Um, what, what's he at right now? Minus 220. That, uh, that, that is tempting to me. Borch is good, but Mad, Mads is an animal. All right. Yeah, that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you tomorrow, hopefully. Let's fucking get these tickets. And yeah, peace out, Couch Warriors.